0: their love alive night of dark shadows just another night of terror at Collinwood Daytime Gothic is here. It's a charity magazine celebrating dark shadows, and you can now order this magazine. Proceeds benefit Macmillan Cancer UK. The magazine is comprised of 120 full-color pages of interviews, features, fiction, artwork, and photographs. I wrote an article for the zine myself about 10 gothic tales that could have been used in Dark Shadows had the series continued. I will post a link to the order form in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. And you can also go to the Dark Shadows news page over on Twitter or on Facebook, and you can find out more information about it. There's nowhere to run. There's no place to hide. This podcast is fun, but there are spoilers inside. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood, tis I, your hostess, Danielle, aka Penny Dreadful, and I am absolutely thrilled to have my guest here today. Uh, I've been wanting to chat with him uh, on the podcast for quite a while, although I've known him from the fandom and from online for many years. Uh, And I am talking about the one, the only Darren Gross. Described by The Guardian as a movie sleuth and champion of lost causes, Darren works in MGM's technical services department, which archives, preserves, restores, and remasters the studio's movies. For many years, he has served as manager in theatrical motion picture and archive features mastering at MGM. During that time, he produced the deleted Lost Scenes re-edit for David Lynch's Blue Velvet and was instrumental in restoring the original mono-audio mix for the good, the bad, and the ugly. In 1999, Darren unearthed previously lost footage cut from the 1971 film Night of Dark Shadows and prepared a restored version of the movie that was closer to Dan Curtis's original vision. Sadly, that version has not yet been released to the public. In addition, Darren produced the Robert Cobert featurettes on the Night Stalker and Trilogy of Terror Blu-ray releases. Darren directed several Dark Shadows and Highlander audio dramas for Big Finish, including Kingdom of the Dead and Night Whispers, along with Jim Pearson. Darren also served as consultant on story and continuity and performed additional production coordination and casting duties. Welcome to the show, Darren. It's
1: a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Great to to
0: talk to you, Penny. Oh, my goodness. Well, we've been talking to each other online for quite a a while uh, over on the Dark Shadows message board forums and also through Facebook and things like that. And um, ever since, I think, since the early episodes of this podcast, i have been saying I got to talk to Darren on this podcast at some point. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. So Darren, talk to us a little bit about how did you first get into Dark Shadows and and just generally pop Culture stuff
1: Oh, sure. Well, i us say for me, I came to Dark Shadows and I think it was around 87. WMIC in, in the New York area brought it back. Mm-hmm. And my mother had watched it, I think, with my two sisters when she was pregnant with my brother in the, the late 60s. It was like, oh my God, this is totally you. you you've got to watch this. <laughs> I find out this thing, this show is coming back. You're going to love it. And it's like a soap problem with his vampires. And I'm like, really? a soap problem? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you got to watch it. And it's going to be a thing. And I go, like, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. And at the time, this so it's eighty seven. I was bitten by all the horror bug. I stumbled across Commander USA's groovy movies around yes. eighty five, <laughs> and beca- you know, and so where he would show the craziest, schlockiest Mexican horror movies and every other thing, including Luton movies and real just wonderful stuff. And I got totally hooked on these on, on horror movies and everything else. And um, so this eighty seven. Dark Shadows coming back for for me couldn't have come at a better time. You know, I think there was a slight adjustment period for the first couple episodes as I got into the pace of it because I think that we were showing they were showing two episodes a day, two times a week. So it was like I think Tuesday Thursday was like you know so you see four episodes a week and just the 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 odd pace of it and look of it. I think it took me a, a beat to finally click into plus. Technically, it was an effort to watch because it wasn't over any of the cable stations you could watch. I actually had to go to the one TV in the dining room that still that wasn't connected to anything that had an antenna. So it would literally be, it's eight o'clock, dinner has run too long, I'm sitting over there and watching Dark Shadows now, I'll clean up later, and then <laughs> and, and there I'd be with no VCR just watching it all, and then you know then moving the rabbit ears as yep. a single one. So it was one of those... I can't record it. I can't save it. It's ephemeral like TV used to seem. And if I don't see it now, it's gone for good. And there's since pre-internet, there's no way to look up any of this stuff. I have no idea where I am in the show, what episodes came before, how many there are left. It was all just kind of a mystery. So because of that, I think the intensity with which you focus on the show was was amped up. Yeah. Um, anything is if you're watching it one time only live, you'll never see it again. So I got completely hooked to it. I got totally hooked. hooked were
0: these it. the were the uh, early Barnabas episodes?
1: Ah, actually, where where it came in was right before the séance, leading to seventeen ninety five. Oh wow! The Nancy Barrett and David with the little soldier doll and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right? sure. And leading to old Barnabas. So I think it was yep. like it was like I think we had we had Barnabas turning old and and everything within like an episode or two. I might be yeah. a little fudgy on that, but that that feels right to me. Um, because I think some other channel had shown it a few years or a couple of years before, and that's where they'd stopped. And so when this other channel picked it up, they picked it up from where it had left off. I've tried, I know the books, there's some books around that have all sorts of like, or references online of like the syndication patterns of this channel or so this, but I've never been able to figure out exactly what the timeline is, but I, you know, and it's, I'd love to know. Um, yeah. but yeah, so they started with that. So. Got a little bit of a preamble, then right into 1795, which is probably why I love the 1795 one so much. But um, but also because we're we're watching one, you know, watching only four a week instead of five a week, it's moving a little slower than than the other thing. And you were so, as I said, I was so focused to it, you know. But I was completely hooked, hooked into it. And I even went to the, the 1988 convention, went, went in New York, which was great. I got to see everybody there, including Joan Bennett, which was great because she. Yeah. It oh wow. Cool. Or. Years afterwards, um, which was insane uh, and wonderful. But I realized later that I had experienced some dark shadows previously. And I can't, again, I don't know the year, probably would have been 85, 86, maybe even a little earlier. They used to have like a four o'clock movie or a 4 30 movie on the East Coast in the New York area. And after school, you play, you play with your friends, you go to your friend's house. And I saw big chunks of House of Dark Shadows on television. Okay, Didn't know cool. it was i saw the end of it you know i think i know i saw carolyn in the pool house and i know i saw the ending and everything and then had to like walk home you know 15 blocks at night and was scared (laughs) beyond belief and i had forgotten it but when at the dark shadows festival i went to i think it was in 88 what the thing was oh we're going to show the two dark shadows movies we're going to show them late at night after the thing and i you know staggered down to to watch them and as soon as the dark shadows started rolling i was like i've seen this movie I know this movie I, i've seen it before so it was another one but it was it must have been another one of those 430 movies that i you know again it was we, i you know you, you'd never see the beginning of the thing you just come in and, and oh what is this and and you know and again sometimes the tv guy was wrong or whatever or you just didn't have it you never knew what you were watching and you know yeah. until you were, a Complete movie geek in the you know late 80s, like me, and then you start writing everything down. Oh, sure,
0: yeah. And Same like TV guide and old. circling all the things that are going to be on that you want to watch, or the TV listings in the paper. I would just pour through
1: those. I became a total nut. I mean, I would, um, I would cut out the the little what uh, even for the PBS for the Shadows ones, they would have little one sentence descriptions of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I would cut those out, like I know this is, you know, I know this is what I've seen. This oh, that's cool. great. Oh, that's so cool. I would buy them way of making kind of an episode guide. I found the files magazine kind of publications later. Oh, um okay. but those were always strange because they were like, oh, I would pick up this thing about Dark Shadows and it would start telling me what's in episode 479. I'm like, 479? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Parallel Time. Like, you know, can you imagine you're just watching 1795? Parallel time? What are you talking about? Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember reading the parallel time concordance I got at the Dark Shadows Festival, one of the only things I bought mm-hmm. there. And I was like, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. <laughs> I could not make hesitant. And I read it cover to cover like a novel. And it was yeah. and, I, and I could not not a clue, but it yeah. was like-
0: You also mentioned uh, getting into into Commander USA, which we we have talked about years ago too. Um, a lot of people ask me because uh, I'm a horror host. They say, "Well, you, you must have had a horror host growing up." And I said, "Not not really. I mean, we had Creature Double Feature, uh, which was unhosted. But the first horror host I remember seeing, it, I was a teenager at that point, and it was Commander USA, and I loved Commander USA. This genial horror host was a superhero, uh, Legion of Decency retired." <laughs> <laughs> i love commander well, you're like a huge you you're a, you used to record them or track down episodes and stuff like that right
1: yeah no um we we didn't get a vcr till i think it was somewhere in 86 or something i think somewhere i think it was i think it was around it was like i think i can really nail it down not that it's that important um <laughs> We got, but we finally got a VCR. I think it was like on April Fool's Day, like nineteen eighty-six. I think it was, and they had a command to say April Fool's Day special. And it was like, and Dad came in. We got it. You know, and I'm watching the thing, and Dad comes in with a VCR. I'm like, set it up, set it up. I'm gonna record the rest of this. Stop monkeying around. Get it going. The show's still up. I'm gonna record the rest of this. And I like, and some, I got like last half hour or something. It was the recorded news. And from that point on, I was like, I paid, you know, with a few mistakes here and there. You know, pretty um for the the rest of the the rest of the run.
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, that's awesome!
1: Wow. Exactly. If you look on you you most of the stuff you see, uh, and I've traded with fans over the years, and they oh I find one here that they've got, and we trade them, and I've, and I and I you know made copy made some, some copies for some other fans, but like apart from like I don't know like a handful, like all the ones you see on YouTube are or someone put up someone let me put up there from my tapes that I let somebody Oh, from up. your stuff yeah. yeah yeah you could you could you know I could I could tell because I was you know i you know I could I I just know the shows I know where the bad tracking is I know when I came running <laughs> late when I realizing I ran out of videotapes and I had to go to the supermarket <laughs> and it was two minutes late so we missed the intro and all that and stuff like that <laughs> I know or oh suddenly this one has some dark doc, doctor who at the end of it I it's it's all I know this is. It was doctor. your stuff yeah <laughs> this is this, this comes from uh, the matters, but yes, um, but I, but there's so little of it else out out there. i I I wonder if it. I hope it exists somewhere in the NBC USA Network vault somewhere because I mm. would hate to think that what I've got and five other tapes that some other collectors have is it because you know yeah. there was some great stuff there. He was um,
0: on for for a few years, Jim Hendrix.
1: um, I remember I bumped into him. Make a long story short. Sure. I was a huge fan of of Commander. I even made he used to have on the show, he would have a fake newspaper with goofy headlines, like newsletters yeah. and everything. And it was called the Groovy Gazette. And he would tell some he would read some weird story in the Groovy Gazette. So I created a fan club. In high school called the groovy you know what he called the great USA fan club and you the newsletter was called the groovy gazette it was all like you know a home computer thing it was really you know it was clip you know clip art it was very limited and stuff and most of it was like transcriptions of his skits because i had videotaped and maybe some of my own stupid jokes i wrote a little uh ongoing fiction piece um by him versus a vampire and stuff and um but i modified the key art to make like the characters look like they had the Commander USA mask oh cool <laughs> And I sent it to them and they were, and they thought it was great. And, and, and so Jim Hendrix called me out of the blue, what do you call it in, on at home, which blew me away as a kid. That's I was. amazing. Wow. A six, 15, 16 year old kid. This was like amazing. And, um, yeah. and I, I interviewed him and, and for the, for the thing and, and put it on there. Um, he even like posted a sign. It, it, it's an inside gag. There the end credits. They would show the set and the credits would roll. And it's somewhere in the big art board, the whole, like, I don't know, minute credit roll. There's a, on the big cell, it looks like a, it looks like a big sticky note we call it, you know, and it says call Darren gross and it's ticked off. And uh, during the whole end credit wow, roll. Wow.
0: That's yeah. so cool. Oh, and
1: that's, I, that must've blown your mind. <laughs> blew my mind blew my mind and, I, and I've, <laughs> I've lost track of which episode that's in and I keep checking my tapes going okay this is the one nope oh <laughs> uh,
0: I <laughs> and- hope you find it oh that's that's amazing it's interesting the sort of the, how the dark shadows fandom kind of in many ways it is kind of an island unto itself but there is also overlap with classic horror fandom as well but then there are also some fans in the classic horror fandom who are you know, look down their nose at Dark Shadows and some Dark Shadows fans that won't look twice at classic horror movies. They only like Dark Shadows. And I think you and I share that interest in all of that, you know, Dark Shadows. It kind of feeds, I I think, to fully appreciate all of Dark Shadows. It's also important to understand its, its inspirations. And I think some people that are fans of the things that inspired Dark Shadows don't appreciate that Tapestry that Dark Shadows created, pulling from all of this archetypal horror stuff and weaving it into a, a unified storyline. It's just incredible what they were able to pull off with that show.
1: It's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely astounding. And the, the the really fascinating thing is it's it's the hardest show to explain to people that haven't mm-hmm. seen it. even like the John, even if you, they see the, the Johnny Depp movie or just something because it's 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 more in the public view in the modern generation is you hear like, oh, they've done versions of Wuthering Heights and Picture Doreen Gray and all sorts of things like that. Or the, you know, the werewolf story, I think, or Dracula and stuff. But it's not, to, to some people's mind, I think, oh, it must be sort of like an anthology show. But it's not like they took all the beats of these stories, whether it's Jackal and Hyner's, and did just a one-to-one translation of it. They took the idea of just a general idea of a make a portrait and you're decadent and, and your portrait gets worse while you look the same mm-hmm. and weaved it into their own yeah. original unique way you know someone mm-hmm. gets walled up but someone getting walled up in a post story is just somebody getting walled up for revenge in a post story that is brick by brick it's but they stick it within the drama of 1795 or, or it's trash being walled up it's not it's not like let's stop the thing to have an anthology show it's it's these great gothic ideas within the history of horror and uncanny literature just turned, just just sort of plucked, like yeah. daisies from from great <laughs> ideas and things things to to work within it. So it's sort of like you you can't really say because oh the show is you can't say the show is der- der- derivative or rips off all this stuff. It doesn't. It's just sort of it's all the fertilizer for this great fresh material. You know. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. reimagined in that world and woven together into this really unique thing uh, that has never never been seen before or since, but has certainly inspired a lot of things. Uh, I don't think Dark Shadows gets enough credit for the things that it has inspired in, in subsequent years.
1: I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I think my most fans, most fans are on some version of a rewatch. Yeah. You know, I'm the I'm in I'm number three or four, and I'm around I'm <laughs> parallel time. You know, um, my husband's on a rewatch, and he's he's moving very slowly. He's in the early what do you call it? Um, you know, Bill Malloy. Oh, the, yeah, Great Barnabas you know, of stuff. Yeah, Burke wants the cannery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Of, of the show you know yeah. every time he goes oh come on you're gonna watch you're gonna watch my stream that we're watching i'll sit down he calls, and, it'll, and it'll be like you know it won't be something where there's the ghost of bill mulloy and seaweed it'll be people arguing about who's going to buy the cannery and trying to be outbid on you know it's actually one of the reasons i think that before it poses a challenge to um and the serial nature of the storyline makes it very hard for someone to go okay we're going to do a new dark shadows movie or just or a movie or show because for lack of a better term it's it's not high concept and what that is i mean if you say to somebody we're going to do a new star trek and you go star trek what's star trek all the writing team needs to watch star trek to figure out what star trek is you can watch five episodes of star trek you're done you're good Mm -hmm. as far as this is who the main characters are. This is their interaction. This is what happens. They land on a planet. This happens and this happens and then this and then they go on to the next one. This or they encounter this and this happens and this guy's logical and this guy's this. And you got it. You get the whole concept down. When you have one-hour dramas that are episodes of the week, it's a much easier concept to come to. With Dark Shadows, it's like okay, so you want to do Dark Shadows? You got to watch five years and you know six hundred hours, <laughs> twelve hundred episodes to get it all. So yeah. you sort of have to hire people that already know what it is because i you know i have a feeling i think because it's too much it's too much for someone to you can't say hey you want to write this dark shadows movie over the okay over the weekend watch as much dark shadows as you can and come in and give us your ideas because you'll have gotten nowhere yeah. you'll have got absolutely nowhere you'll have it's about victoria winters in a house and she wants to find out who she is you'll never have even gotten the vampires or the supernatural or anything else so it's like sort of what do you what do you pick it's like yeah it's, it's very, very difficult to sort of have. Um, that, was, that was part of the cool thing when the 2004 or five show, which unfortunately didn't happen, was Mark Verheiden was going to be the showrunner on it. And he he knew Dark Shadows. He yeah. knew Dark Shadows. He loved Dark Shadows. He had great ideas. And he was going to bring Burke Devlin back. And he had some like, oh, some, wow. funky, some funky ideas with that. And, so, and some really interesting ideas of where things were going to sort of go. Because he knew all the material. He knew... Yeah. This sort of stuff. And it's, just, it's again, it's just hard for a new writing well, team to, to get a grasp on it with so much material to,
0: to yeah. go through. It. I wonder where that would have gone um, with, with that. But I agree with you. I think somebody needs to really understand what makes Dark Shadows tick to really get it, because it is it's exactly what you describe. And depending where you jump into the show. You're going to get a different flavor of Dark Shadows, like the Victoria Winter stuff in the early episodes. But then if you jump into Barnabas, it's already you're in the the gothic horror zone. But then if you go into parallel time, then you're getting a parallel universe version of it. 1995, you're in the future. It turns into this time travel thing. You have the the whole monster mash with all of these different classic horror. And I think that's, it it evolved into that. It just became, I think Stephen King described it as a Mad Hatter's tea party. It just becomes more and more crazy as it goes on. And depending when you watched it, when you were a kid too, like people remember different parts of Dark Shadows. Some kind of jumped in later in the game. Some jumped out earlier than others. So um yeah,
1: it is kind of it is as I said a, a monster mash stew of, of all sorts of things is yeah. definitely, definitely the way to
0: put it. I'm just interrupting here. Uh, Darren and I went back to talking about the unaired 2004 WB Dark Shadows pilot, and uh, I got all kinds of names confused. I mixed up some people in the conversation uh, name wise, and we got on the topic of P.J. Hogan, who directed the pilot, and uh, I cut out all the mishmash of stuff I was saying that wasn't wasn't entirely correct, and just let and what Darren continued to say about the uh, 2004 pilot. So I'm leaving that in because it's really interesting stuff.
1: I, I, don't, I, I don't know if you oh, haven't saw any of the episodes of the show. I know mm. that they watched, I interviewed the DP, and I know they watched, I think, the two Dark Shadows movies, or at least they watched House of Dark Shadows, and mm-hmm. and they were very dismissive. The feeling was uh. they were very dismissive, especially of Dan's style with the with the shock zooms and things like that. Uh. They, they were a little disrespectful. Um on that mm-hmm. and, I, and I which I which I disagree with. Um mm-hmm. but um but I I think that the 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 new show could have gone really wonderful places. And I and I thought doing the the giving it a, this this weird Suspiria, Derogento look to it was a really interesting visual yeah thing. It it was it looked like nothing else on television. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And there was and there was some there was some there were some, some bumps in that pilot. I know some people hate it, but I didn't hate it. I liked it. And um, mm-hmm. but I, I you could see there was like oh this needs to be reshot or this is a mm-hmm. little clumsy or or, or whatever. Um, but I could see them you know especially the ending. But I, I felt like they could they, they had some really talented people behind it. Todd McIntosh did the makeup and there's some good ideas to it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it felt like it was rushed in for pilot season or something and needed a little bit more care. Yeah. Um, as I said, you need people that that know about it. And I think um, like the the stronger of the audios that I've directed, um, and I think the, the the Eric Wallace written one, The Wicked and the Dead, which has trashed what he's doing while he's walled up in 1897, and The Kingdom of the Dead, I think are the, some of the strongest ones that we've done, that we've done it and felt. Dark, yeah. dark shadows like and because he yes. knew eric was a huge fan of dark shadows and i think you know and so he's you know he'd be on my list of candidates to to uh, on the writing team for sure and Mark
0: yeah oh gosh yes i'd like to talk about the the audio dramas you brought up kingdom of the dead i had stuart manning on here before and I told him. I think that was one of my favorite ones. Was uh, was Kingdom of the Dead. I really uh, enjoyed that one. It was really cool. And you also directed the Tony and Cassandra Mysteries, uh, which yeah. is a, a big fan favorite. That developed kind of its own cult following, almost as a spinoff of the stories. Um, how did you end up getting involved with the Big Finish audio dramas?
1: That's a long story. I'll, I'll make it very. I try to make it very short. Actually, <laughs> uh, I was there right at the beginning. Big Finish. had have been doing very well with. Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and Stuart was a Doctor Who fan, and and um, had I think he had um, and he knew the Big Finnish folks. Um, I think he'd done some artwork for them. I could be getting that a little confused because he's done so much um, this graphic design. And we we became friends after meeting at the Dark Shadows Festival. And he put out this fanzine that was like the best, one of the best fanzines at that time. It was just really you know he, he Shadows overwritten, and It was really well written, and it was at a level that that, that was desperately needed I think at that time. And everything and we hit it off and um and we had been discussing, hey, we should do audio. Wouldn't it be great to wouldn't be great a big finish to do audios and things like that? And that would be like would be you know, not even, maybe not even a big finish at that point, just it would be great to do audios. The whole cast is pretty much is all around and we can, we can do it and you can do so much in audio and then if everybody being older it doesn't really matter and everything. And it's sort of long story short, we sort of put together this whole pitch proposal thing. On, and came up with an idea of, well, how could we do this? We can't, you know, Fred won't do it. So we, how are we going to do this when we, we have to recast Barnabas, which was a big, how are we going to do it? And so, you know, back then it seemed like the most fresh, original idea in the history of the world, And now it just seems like we're Doctor Who fans, duh, it's obvious. We had him almost regenerate. We had him show up, played by Andrew Collins, and he didn't know who he was, and it was something like, in order to escape the curse, he'd done a body swap with somebody. And so... Even though he might sound a little different or look a little different to the characters, no one would know he was Barnabas. He was actually Barnabas. And then I think by the end of the first story or the, or the arc of those first four stories, the audience would have heard him enough and have been ahead of the curve going, well, this guy's probably Barnabas. This guy's probably Barnabas. So that when he finally goes, yes, he's Barnabas, they wouldn't be hostile to it. They wouldn't be forced to say, here's someone you've never heard of that's going to be Barnabas. And they wouldn't immediately go, ah, they would be like, oh, well, I kind of like him. I can sort of see him being as Barnabas. And then you could sort of go with it. So... We sort of we worked, we worked on the whole thing together. I was supposed to write a script for the first one, but I never was able to get anything together. I was it was, something, it was going to be something about Count Patoffi and a binary. It was going to it was going to be a bunch of hands. It was going to be oh. a bunch of hands, you know, crawling all over the place. Instead of one hand, it was going to be he was going to unleash a religion of of hands for some reason.
0: Oh wow!
1: <laughs> but I, but I got I, I started hitting the wall because I kept going. But it's audio. How can I? You can do. Oh, you can have right. one person in a seeing a crawling hand. But if you start, if I start doing multiples, you can't visualize it. And I realized I need visuals for this. And I just, I just couldn't get over the hurdle and never, as a result, never broke the story. So I didn't write one for the first season. So uh, Stuart knew the people at Big Finish and he kind of worked everything out with them. And it sort of became their kind of production. And I sort of fell into the background and, um and that's, and just sort of became a, a director. Mm-hmm on them instead, so I didn't, didn't so I didn't have anything to do with the creative part of it uh, as far as storylines and, and producing and everything like that, but I would do all the U.S. sessions. And the thing with the, the Dark Shadows audios was, I think the first four were all done in the U.S. They were all done in the U.S. They came out, you know, uh, Gary Russell came out here to direct all of them. Stuart came out here, and everything, and they were done like over like four days. They got Robert Rodan and they got John Carlin. Everybody back in. It was a great few days. And John Carlin didn't show up on the last day. He was sick or something, or had a bug or something, and wasn't able to do the last day. So it kind of blew their schedule. They didn't have him. They were supposed to. They were supposed to be wrapped by the end of the whole thing. And they had to go back to England. So I'd been there. I'd been in session. I'd been watching Gary do his thing directing and i had done some previous uh, directing work on the night of dark shadows restoration stuff which we'll get into um mm-hmm. and stuff and so i jumped into I, they said well you're here you know john carlin you've done some stuff can you do all his scenes that we didn't get to do on the last day by yourself and i said sure so they set me up to do that i did that and then from then on i was pretty much the go-to director for the u.s sessions they would tend to do all the all the stuff in the U.S. would be recorded over here, mm-hmm. different small little batches of two or three actors here, two actors there, and then they all the stu- audio stuff would be sent off to the U.K. and then all, all the supporting characters would all be cast and done by the team in the in the U.K. So so it's a, it's an odd sort of hodgepodge. Like, I can't yeah you know. Um, I can't can't, can't really credit myself for directing the supporting cast, you know, which means unfortunately I didn't get to direct David Warner for Kingdom of the Dead. Oh,
0: yeah. He was so great. And I was so excited when I saw David Warner was going to be in a Dark Shadows project. That was really cool to have him as part of that. Um, But you directed, I mean, it sounds like you were directed all the dark shadows cast members who could come back, come in to record. So was that lay in, a, in, at a studio in, um, uh, uh, Los Angeles, they would come in. At, yeah. uh, a
1: few different studios in Los Angeles. We start off private Island tracks, which yeah. we, we still would use. And, and we, we bounced around a few different places. We, you know, some, the engineer we like would go to this, would start his own studio, so we would mm-hmm. go over there or, or scheduling. We'd go over to this one. So yeah, it's it spread sort of around. And, you know, um, at times, I think Jim Pearson would direct direct some, I think some mm-hmm. There would be like, oh, there's an actor in the, in the UK. So they're going to, Stewart would direct, I think they directed some, I think mm-hmm. in the UK, but Kingdom of the Dead was, we started off doing these one, they were almost like audio books, almost like red audio books, mm-hmm. a lot of narration. And then there would be like some acted scenes and it sort of, it finally sort of got to regular, you know, um, not all of them. It was just sort of, we call but but there was a handful in the early days, and mm-hmm. then, it, then I think then Stuart and and Eric, well Stuart Manning and Eric Wallace came up with Kingdom of the Dead, when mm-hmm. they wrote that together, and it was a four part story, and it had like he's like all the cast, and so that mm-hmm. the first time for me felt like doing Dark Shadows. I had mm-hmm. the whole you know pretty much the whole cast who I could get in it, and we were we were doing it as a serial drama, and if and everybody mm-hmm. was sort of playing it, and it was sort of progressing, and I got a real feeling for them. i really loved yeah. kingdom of It. i loved what we what i loved the story i loved how it sort of, how it sort of evolved i mean you know nothing's perfect yeah. but i just but it's for me it, it felt like we finally got something that felt sort of dark shadows there and yeah. the series was the way to go i yeah. think later on um i didn't do it but bloodlust and bloodline finally took that thing of doing like a box set or a season and doing a bunch of link shows and you know, I think the, the the better the best idea is. Hey, what we should is don't break is is you know do mess with success. Is you do it as a serial thing. You do it with cliffhanger. Right. Do it with half hour parts. You do mm. it sort of because because you, you, you told her You can do anything. It can be seventy five minutes or it can be half hour chunks. Mm. It's up you know. But I think that that works the best. And um, Mark Passmore came up with this concept of Tony Peterson and Cassandra as like a thin man type of arguing supernatural investigators. Yeah, from his from his from his fervent imagination, and and I got to I guess I got to direct the first one or a few of those. So and you were was,
0: directing uh, Jerry Lacy and Lara Parker. Those. Lara
1: Parker, who, yeah. who, are, who are wonderful, who are wonderful in them, and then you know to, 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 to be honest, it's totally not, it's totally not star chat <laughs>
0: Well, oh, it's its own thing. It just, it feels, I don't, I honestly, I feel like Kingdom of the Dead is closer to Dark Shadows than some of the more, like you mentioned Bloodlust and Bloodlust. Not, I'm not knocking anybody involved with it, but it's just, it, sometimes it gets to the tone of it or the humor. There's sometimes there's humor in there that feels off to me or references to like to modern pop culture or things like that. And I'm like, eh, it kind of feel, it doesn't feel as Dark Shadows as Kingdom of the Dead to me, feels more Dark Shadows. The, the, that gothic feel of uh, Kingdom of the Dead, to me, feels more Dark Shadows. Tony and Cassandra, I feel like it's really cool, but it's also, it's kind of its own thing. It has its own distinct flavor, where you pulled these characters from Dark Shadows, but now they're occult detectives, and it almost feels like a, an episodic 1970s TV show that you would have seen, and like a Kolchak kind of a show, you know, that you would have seen in the 70s, and that's totally that feel that it has to me
1: yeah no it's 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 a great way of uh of describing it that's that's absolutely correct yeah because i think we haven't taken we haven't taken place in the 70s because Mm because of the timeline that's what sort of makes sense and it allows you to do do a whole bunch of things and jerry and laura have such great chemistry and and if they weren't good friends before they certainly became the best of friends during the (laughs) thing Because, yeah. because it's just delightful. It's delightful working with them. Whenever we do it, it's, it's I don't know. It's just it's just fun. We know you get to do them and you get to work with them and they're great and they bring so much. They bring so much to them and the chemistry and the humor and everything. You know, um, and it is I think it sort of it sort of has to. Again, you point to a thing. It sort of has to be kind of a one hour thing because each of the Tony Casandras are one story. It's just it's a one hour one story sets up sets up the sets up the plot line and solves the mystery and everything. And I, I just but as a as a oddball artifact spinoff off from dark shadows I think it's I think it's 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 fun as I said it's though it's not particularly it's not seem particularly dark shadows no. I honestly haven't only heard parts of blood and bloodline so I'm a little talking a little bit out of school but I, I didn't I didn't direct those Ursula I did those mm-hmm. and um, unlike the the ones that I work on I don't get free time. <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> but I do, I, mean, I do but I do know what you mean about the modern references I will say just before we did the big finish Dark Shadows: The Big Finish. Jim went and did the turn of Colin with Janice and Selby, and that was a that was a, the first thing that Dark Shadows I, on audio, and I think you know, I sort of put it out and everything. And there was references to like hot tubs and modern stuff, which I know yeah. it seems like a, a, you know a, a flat note on a piano, or it just just seems. It off. It doesn't, it,
0: yeah, it's just like something you wouldn't have heard on Dark Shadows. So it just, it jumps out at you when you're listening to it. Uh, I agree. Um, before we talk about Night and Dark Shadows, I just want, Night Whispers was the only one Jonathan Frid did and ha- also have John Carlin in it, and Barbara Steele too, uh, which is awesome to hear Barbara Steele on that with, uh, with Jonathan. So were, you were involved in directing that as well. Um, did you direct Jonathan and Barbara and John Carlin or did you only direct some of them or?
1: See that's the whole the odd interesting thing of the way the our shadows audios have been done in sort of a nutshell is getting people where they are as they're sort of available for example we got matthew waterhouse from doctor who in one episode because we recorded it at the same time he was that like on the monday after he was at the gallifrey convention here in la mm-hmm. and then the next day he came up and i got to direct him in that and that was fun so it's sort of it's and then i guess supporting actors are done in the uk so but in a case of um Night Whispers, which I believe Stuart wrote, Jim Pearson went up to Canada and directed all the stuff of Jonathan Frit. He spent the okay. time doing all the stuff of Jonathan Fred. Then I think he came down here in, in LA and did Barbara. I did all John Carlin. Okay. <laughs> <You
0: know. laughs> so and, so so you had the fun assignment there. <laughs> yeah,
1: was, well, you know, I I did have the fun I loved I loved I loved working with Johnny. He he was he was a hoot
0: everybody loved john carlin
1: he was, he was, he was a hood. i've got stories he was very entertaining like my favorite is he comes back from lunch or smoke break or something and he comes back and um I mean, he's in the booth doing you know with the script and everything in front of him and i'm you know back you know in the uh mixing console and everything talking to him over a mic and i'm like so johnny in the next scene i think blah 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 blah, and he's like what what i i can't hear these headphones forget it you know they, 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 to speak louder and i and i pop into the booth and he's got the headphones flipped the, the, the metal side is against his ears and the speakers the audio, the speakers are facing down, facing down. like this, it might work a little better if you're oh thanks Simon. It's great. You know, or there'd be times i'd be like are, are you okay do you need a glass of water or something you don't sound right john you, it's something the voice doesn't sound right and he goes and he'd be like, it's fine. It, 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 <laughs> what are you talking about? And i go, did you take your teeth out? Goes, oh, I'll be right back. Sorry. Around okay, yeah. <laughs> his pocket. Sorry. No. Yeah. Okay. okay. Is that better? Have a pretty white. <laughs> <time>. Okay, be great. <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> great. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you
1: know, I'm just proud. I noticed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was great. He was great. And the thing I, I loved about it, um, a lot of people that have written reviews of, of Night Whispers have said how much I like John Carlin in it mm-hmm. and the thing about John Carlin he was such an um, uh, an immediate actor and, and I that's not a technical term I just mean if you said if you gave him a line he would read that line like it just came to him and it was full of 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 drama and intensity like like he's actually responding to Jonathan cueing him didn't need to play Jonathan Fred queuing. And we tried that for a couple of things and he's like, I don't need it. I'm good. I don't, I'm don't. i good. Yeah. And we, he could just make it sound like, yeah, this is, I'm responding to somebody. I mean, when you have a, you have a scene where it's question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, and all you're doing is one side of it. It can sound very chopped up and isolated. Everybody can sound like they're, you know, they're waiting for their cue. And he made it sound so, alive, I think that it brings up it brings up his scenes a bit, and it totally makes the scene that keeps the room with
0: him. Yeah. Now, of course, I want to talk to you about Night of Dark Shadows. Uh, I definitely wanted to do this episode with you. You're so intimately involved with Night of Dark Shadows and championing its restored release, which you put together uh, amazingly that you found that footage and got the actors to re-record the audio and all of this. Night of Dark Shadows came out in 1971. Uh, it gets a a lot of a lot of people love house of dark shadows some people don't like house of dark shadows but i think generally speaking a lot of people tend to like house of dark shadows night of dark shadows not so much night of dark shadows i think in the fandom and and just in general kind of gets a lot of negative uh blowback from people my i remember i was introduced to night of dark shadows with my uncle val he described he said oh it's boring Night of Dark Shadows. It doesn't have Barnabas in it. It's boring. When I watched Night of Dark Shadows though, I thought it was cool to this day. I, and I know a lot of people don't agree. I love Night of Dark Shadows. I think it's its own unique style of Dark Shadows. It doesn't feel like the TV show. It doesn't feel like House of Dark Shadows either. It feels like its own thing. It's moody. It's eerie. Uh, Just right away. I always say rainy day in November, cold out, windy, rainy pop in Night of Dark Shadows, turn down the lights and watch Night of Dark Shadows because it's that mood a uh, moody autumnal kind of feeling it's overcast in the film you have that robert cobert uh, joanna's theme playing as you go into the film which is a melancholy piece of music and just great scenes around lyndhurst you have david selby as quentin you have kate jackson in her film debut as tracy and of course you have grayson hall as carlotta in a very underplayed very mrs danvers-esque kind of role uh you got uh angelique lara parker as the ghost of of angelique you got john carlin and, and nancy barrett uh as the friends alex and claire gerard is in it james storm uh you see a lot of cameos too smaller roles you've laura collins comes back in the flashback you have chris pennock you have there david clarice blackburn with her actual hair her red hair <laughs> Uh, so, and it's just a moody piece with the interesting flashbacks. Yes, the cuts are jarring. The movie was butchered, sadly, of course, as you know better than anyone else. They cut a lot of pieces out of the film. And even as it is, I still enjoy it. I don't know. It's it's an eerie film. What are your feelings about just about Night of Dark Shadows in general? When did you first see it? And do you like the film? I mean, <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey. I absolutely hate it. No, I, no, I, I adore it. I, I love it. It's part of my DNA at this point. It's been, you know, we work on this thing for so long um, and I've spent so much time dissecting this and how this was done and why and, and watching bits of scenes over and over and piecing it together. I remember I talked about watching, remembering I had seen it on TV at the mm-hmm. convention and like you're talking about the opening. As soon as that movie started in the convention uh, back in 88 and it was the shot of the trees driving by and the music and the house and everything, I went, i seen this movie. I knew this movie. And it stuck with me. And the tone and the mood of it, as you said, that opening, with that autumnal look with the rain starts and the and the music that's the tone to the whole that's the tone pretty much to the whole movie yes you can tell this is not happy romantic drama this is a this is a somewhat melancholy love scene it's a mood piece it's very it feels very european and british i was gonna
0: say that it feels like a euro horror film it totally does yeah
1: you know, dance on a wet afternoon or even like sort of like a less flamboyant you know horrible dr hitchcock which is a lot more um Whats more blood and thunder. But it's just it's, it's just got this weird sort of vibe, and it's kind of like nothing else. while it blatantly <laughs> rips off some of the mechanics of Rebecca. And, you know, and and like lifts, you know, a whole sequence from Notorious, which everybody steals from Notorious.
0: And Beckoning Fair one, we talked about that uh, when I had uh, Steve Shutt and David Wingrove on The Oliver Onion, you know, that has that vibe going on as well. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think the Beckoning Fair one is probably the is probably the key is the key literary um, antecedent to it, you know, it's a, it's a, guy, a painter that rents, rents this apartment, and it's haunted by this this spectral thing that's sort of draining him of all of her onions. It's a great story, um, but it's pretty much a, it's pretty much just a it's it's a very limited story. It does not have a couple, but but night is just this odd sort of beast, and it gets so much mileage out of the the estate and the house. And if you like gothics and mansions and this, it, it just feels. The pace, you know, I, I was paced obviously slower. It feels like it's the pace that the movie sort of needs to be. You know what I mean? Those echoey halls and the rest of it, which, if you've seen the movie and you've been to the real Lyndhurst, the real Lyndhurst feels a bit more cramped feels a bit smaller. It's glorious, but it feels like it's tw- half the size as you would think from the movie, because lenses and all sorts of stuff, lighting do so much, and sound and everything. If you drop something on a, a marble floor of Leavenhurst, you're not going to hear the echo that makes the seem bigger. It's, it's a much smaller, warmer place than it is. So I just find it it's an, an amazing, fascinating sort of a ghost story, the tone of it. You know, there's a lot of original fans that love Night and Eye Shadows, the ones yeah. that I've talked to that reach out to me and that I've talked to over the years that have helped put parts of the puzzle together of this whole thing historically, were huge fans. They'll be like, Oh yeah, I saw that eight times when it came out. I saw it three times on a drive I saw it five times here. They saw it, you know, they saw it tons of times and everything, so that they remember every frame. So when they see it in one theater and then they see it in another theater and something's missing, they go, wait a minute, I saw it in this the this stuff's missing because I've seen it so many times I know I just think it's a, a sumptuous mood piece tone wise it is to- so totally different than House of Dark Shadows which I yeah. love too yeah um but House of Dark Shadows is, is is like a car crash. You know it's you know and I mean that in its bam bam bam, bam oh yeah bam,
0: bam, totally bam. yes
1: there was a thing there was a complaint Fred had that it was one gory set piece after the other without the character and stuff. And um, yeah you know, the, the thing is the house was also Cut down, but Dan cut that down, and so it's mm-hmm. sort of like there are scenes that should be sort of between these other sort of scenes to sort of clarify points and stuff in house, but he chose that to cut those out. Or, which I'm starting to sort of lean on, is they didn't quite come off in the shooting.
0: I see. Yeah.
1: They were. They somehow didn't come off in the shooting, or because I have a list. I think I have, a, I have a from from production. I found a thing. A list of things we need to reshoot, and, and mm-hmm. I'm like oh, this is all like. Additional coverage for some of the scenes that were that were mm. not cut that would clarify things. Um, but I think he just wanted this wham bam crash shock zoom type of a movie, very peck and paw, and it's slow mo and the gore and all the rest of it. But you know, my Shadows is you know it's if you had to do a, if you had to do a Dark Shadows sequel without Barnabas, you know, which in some Level is seems kind of like sacrilege, um, because because Barnabas became Dark Shadows. So the sort of the fact that they even went ahead with making a movie, even though they couldn't get the lead and then just pull up stakes and go, I guess we can't do one. Or or even, that it even wouldn't even think of recasting, which would have been impossible, is amazing that they somehow came up with this this new concept and yeah. and had enough faith in the Dark Shadows audience and their love of the care the actors that they that they would make the movie work. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a, it's it's pretty bold, you know. Um yeah. and if you think about it, Jonathan Fred didn't want to do the sequel. But also Katherine Lee Scott had left. She's yes. gone to France, she'd gotten married, she'd gone to France. So so a sequel wouldn't have had her. So just looking at the the te- technical needs of it, so there's a lot of things against its favor. I sort of oh. I, I wish in an alternate universe there had been a direct follow up with Barnabas and direct shadow yeah. number three. Or something. Now so that-
0: they were going to. I mean, originally the original plan was for for Jonathan to do a sequel, and of course he didn't he didn't want to do it. But there was the plan. Sam Hall did start writing the the sequel, didn't he, or did he write a treatment for it, or because I remember Ansel said or posted. You know that there was some. There's very little known about it, but it was going to be. A, a originally, wasn't it going to be like a, a set in the past or a flashback to to the past? Was it going to be a, an origin story for Barnabas? Do you know?
1: I don't. You know, to be honest, I've never found a single. I've heard over time. I've heard little, little bits from, let's say, an, an actor that would have been saying, "Oh, I heard that they were going to do this." That maybe Dan Curtis told them or something mm-hmm. over the years. That that isn't anything backed up on backed up on paper we call it? um I don't and, and uh, I don't know if they ever went to paper. I don't know if they ever wrote anything like a treatment or or anything on a proposed part of a sequel. I think it was pretty much, you know, um, I've heard people say that they've read it, but I've never come across anything that sort of backs it up or found anything that they would have read. But you know, I have you know, heard contrary versions of the story, but apparently I think this the head of MGM, I think told Dan Curtis they wanted a sequel. Dan went great. Went to, and immediately went to meet with Fred for lunch or something, and Fred said no, or he wanted, or he said he wanted nine dollars. I mean, I heard different versions of this story, and I've had people dispute different parts of it. But the bottom line is, either he wanted too much money, or he just didn't want to do it. Period. But the general sense I get the feeling is, is he just he he didn't want to be kept typecast as a vampire. But thanks to Sam Hall's son Matt, I've I've been going. Over year, over the several, year, several years, I've been helping going with him go through storage units and trying to find all uh, paperwork from his from his father, and he turned up a bunch of um, early drafts and treatments for Night of Dark Shadows, none of which have so And there's multiple multiple different approaches to the story, and you can see it sort of refining its way kind of to to, to what we sort of what we sort of get. At one point, Gerard comes. Gerard's a zombie. Oh, wow. Instead of, instead uh-huh. of just, you know, uh, creep. <laughs> 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 a sadistic a, a statistic killer doing his thing. Yeah. That's the trailer. Too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I've never found a single one that said that has anything to do with Barnabas. Okay. The- and, there's, and there's rings of this stuff. And they were scrambling to, to write this thing. I mean, we're talking a little over a period of a couple of months just to go from mm-hmm. treatment to the whole thing. I think that's why Sam doesn't write a huge chunk of the last section of the show. is because he, he's, he's busy working on coming up with night because they're going to shoot it right you know, before the show's even done airing yeah um, but uh yeah no yeah so that's that's
0: yeah okay um and it was the the work, work original title ways like, was the curse of dark shadows was the, the working title for it before they changed it to night of dark shadows
1: yes that was um mm-hmm. it was it was shot under curse of curse of dark shadows um and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of there's even stills that had it stamped on the back of it mm-hmm you find the, the, in the collector's market and stuff that were sent out to newspapers. And there'll even be, some people didn't get the memo, and there'll be like newspaper articles saying, Curse of Dark Shadows opens this week. It's going to be great. And then there's like, below it, there's a Night Dark Shadows. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Okay, well, okay, well you, you got close. At least you're yeah. doing some press. Um, but yeah, it was Curse of Dark Shadows because Angelique has a, has a curse in the movie. She says, has a curse in the movie, or at least she used to. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they went with Night instead. I've always joked that... um if you have Night and House of Dark Shadows, the title should be flipped because Night of Dark Shadows is all about the house and House of Dark Shadows is about a vampire that all comes out at night. So- oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's true. Good know. point. Yeah. I mean, if you boil down the story, it's like, OK, the last large like 40 minute section of Night of Dark Shadows all takes place in one night. So I guess mm-hmm. you could sort of say that, but yeah. I guess maybe they tested it. And so not is sexier. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what it was. <laughs> it's all lost to the midst of the marketing department of, you know, and MGM, I can say. It is a very different
0: type of uh, you know style to it and feeling to it than the TV show. But there are things that House of Dark Shadows didn't do that Night of Dark Shadows did, specifically showing things Set in the past and and the whole costume drama aspect of it and reincarnation with Carlotta and presumably Quentin, as we see Quentin either is the reincarnation of Charles or is possessed by the spirit of Charles Collins. They actually had a character that wasn't named Quentin that was played by David Selby, which is great. He was always somebody named Quentin, and even in the film too. But Charles Collins, I kind of wish they had done that in the show too, instead of having Quentin the first when they did 1840, they should. Changed his name. Maybe let let that be Charles Collins. Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, Laura Parker playing uh, playing Angelique. I was going to say playing a witch, but it, is Angelique actually a witch in House of Dark Shadows, or was she just accused of witchcraft and she was executed uh, for being a witch, or is it because she was having an affair with Charles and they just uh, Laura and uh, Gabriel and Reverend Strack just decided to hang her.
1: It's clarified in one of the cut bits
0: aha uh-huh. um, okay yeah you mentioned her se- setting the curse so
1: well um then we get a trick I'll, I'll, I'll address both those questions so which does cause some kind of conf- some confusion and to be honest i still think this is a, a little bit of a vague kind of an area but um mm-hmm. but in the in the seance to get rid of her which was cut out of the movie at the end quentin says we know that you are not a witch and that your death was unjust aha uh-huh. so the reason she's haunting the house isn't because she's an evil witch I mean, it is because she was killed unjustly and mm-hmm. not even buried on sacred ground she was you know or her body was tossed in a coffin and left in the ba- left in the basement of the house on you know on sanctified ground that's why she's there but in the, in the hanging sequence, which they they cut the line out in all mm-hmm. versions, of it, they cut the line out. Yeah. I think just to bring it down, I don't think there was a creative thing. And she says, As you see me die, so shall all of you. That will be my curse to all, to all the people around them, the family. Yeah. But, you know, which is she's dying unjustly. So it doesn't necessarily mean she has witchy powers, I would imagine. Um, and within the continuity of the story, Strack gets trampled to death by Charles on the horse. Charles drowns his wife. Yeah, I think I think nothing. Happens. Nothing happens to Gabriel. I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure why. Probably because that's probably why he probably buries him alive because he's two he's two people on the list have already been knocked off. So I'm going to bury him before he does anything. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a, a, a fan fiction thing. I had to track down to maybe it was World of Dark Shadows fanzine. They pulled it over with like three parts. There was a story that had Gabriel accidentally being hanged while fall. You know, as an older man falling down this falling from the oh. stairs. So he eventually got his comeuppance. It's been years since I read it, but I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, not the muddy of the waters, even further. So I think technically she's not supposed to be a witch. Okay. Okay. This raises sort of a question about, which I've always, always sort of had, with, is you know, Charles Collins, David Selby. Just sort of lets them drag her down to the tower and sort of passively stands there while they sort of. He hang
0: does. Her. He doesn't have much of an emotional reaction at all while it's happening. He's just kind of staring. Charles seems like he wasn't a very nice person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it doesn't seem to be. It doesn't have, seem to have been the, the 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 friendliest.
0: No, no. And when Quentin is possessed by Charles, he's really really horrible to uh, to Tracy to Kate Jackson's character in the present day, uh the way he he treats her. And I mean he's seeing her as Laura, some of those scenes, it's like, wow, David Sylvie's character here is being really nasty.
1: He's really it's just even just like he's she comes up to the tower room and he's just goes off on her. And then yeah. Lenaro he comes down and, and nearly rapes her. Just the way the violent way he talks to her is just so vicious and and, and awful. The attempted rape or assault, let's say it's an assault because I never think he tends to rape her. I think he's just assaulting her. Um, what do you call it, is longer in the director's cut. One of, one of the complaints that's, that's been out there on House versus Night has been that House is just a gore fest. And Night, not only is there not Barnabas in it, and it's quiet and slow and has a different sort of tone, that it doesn't have on any of the, the gory punches. You see that have a lot of punch to them that are in mm. the house. But it does. They've just been cut out. Yeah. And there's like, you know... Um, there's like a bunch of little little bits that have, you know, Gerard looks more gory in one scene, and, and then there's more sex in the tower, and Gerard falling from the train, as has some gory to it. The hanging is a lot more graphic and much more disturbing mm-hmm. than it is. And it's probably the one that's the most obvious. You just watch the thing, and the hanging just goes oh okay i guess it's over it's yeah
0: over. and even in the trailer there's a isn't there a clip for that isn't in the movie where they're pulling her back up because that's not in the cut film but in, it does still exist in the trailer where you see her getting pulled back up uh after she's been hanged um yeah so we have the, this couple that moves into into colinwood now do you feel that night of dark shadows is meant to be a direct does it exist in the same universe as house of dark shadows because this is a debate i've seen in the fandom over the years it's like uh, i guess like you know john john carpenter with halloween and wanted to do like have the title halloween but each story is is distinct like halloween three season of the witch is kind of thing and um some people feel this was the idea with with the Dark Shadows movies is that the title is Dark Shadows, but each movie is distinct. Whereas others feel this is a direct sequel to House of Dark Shadows. They do reference Mrs. Stoddard passed away and Quentin inherits the house, but there's no reference to the you know vampire horrors that unfold <laughs> uh, prior to that. So, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, um, it's it's again it's it's somebody attempts to try to square the circle. It's it's again it's this sort of oddness to it. The yeah, there's a reference to Mrs. Stoddard not dying, but it's sort of like – but then David would have inherited the house. Right, and yeah. And Carlotta talks about – she's been a servant there for years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She wasn't in the first one. That was mm-hmm. Mrs. Johnson. So it's yeah. sort of – so I've always – so with, with that evidence to the contrary, i said this is just an – this is like you were saying. It's a Halloween three. Yeah. It's, it's – names have been changed to protect the innocent. It's a different – group of people. These aren't characters from the TV show. These aren't characters from the previous movie. It's a within the world and tone of Dark Shadows. Yeah, I, I, feel, you know, and I like agree. Three, which I felt was underrated back in the day. It was a great idea. Mm-hmm. They, they. It's a shame because it would have been cool to see every year, or every, you know, every couple of years, a new Dark Shadows type gothic with different with a totally different world and stuff that they would have come up with
0: agreed agreed i think yeah they could have done uh, you know the third one could have been a werewolf you know or they could have done they could have just kept on going with it and done like an anthology series just with the dark shadows title but with a different gothic story for each one i think that would have been awesome um you mentioned uh your european horror film it totally feels like that it reminds me of a of a euro horror film like i've seen a lot of hosted and seen a lot of like you know italian horror films or spanish horror films and it it has that feel to it i think when ansel when ansel farage was on here he called it dan curtis's art film it had an art film kind of quality to it absolutely does it's very moody um Another uh, characteristic here from, from the TV show that carries over is the, the importance of paintings. We have, so, you know, paintings are a big thing in Dark Shadows. Here, right, right away, we get the painting of Angelique. Quentin is an artist. He's uh, There's this other painting where Angelique is lying down on the ground, and he, he's, Quentin's carrying Tracy's body to Angelique. It's some really cool uh, stuff happening here. And then, we, of course, we have the next-door neighbors who are gothic novelists, which was a fun little touch there with John Carlin and uh, Nancy. Nancy. Nancy Barrett, uh, Gerard, uh, James Storm plays a very different type of Gerard. This is not the Gerard of the TV show. This is a kind of a creep, a real creep, kind of like early Willie Loomis before he he unleashes Barnabas. He has that kind of quality to him. Kind of a skeevy kind of character, in Carlotta, and I love Grayson Hall. Grayson Hall was very understated in the, in this film, in her performance. This kind of cold and sinister housekeeper, closer in line, I guess, with uh, with Hoffman in the parallel time uh, world, but m- much more stylish. <laughs> RG Jameson said Grayson picked her own wardrobe and stuff for for this film. Which was pretty cool. Any thoughts before we get into the sort of your quest to, to reconstruct Night of Dark Shadows? Any thoughts on any of these characters in the film? Sure. I, um,
1: I know that, um, yeah, like the European, the European thing, definitely. Yeah, it has like a mm-hmm. feeling like, let's say, of a, with the, the British movie Seance in a wet afternoon. Or just yeah. Like, like, yep. take, take and the fact that Grayson is so cool in it yeah. and so not the big steal, scene stealing, big performance that she's that she's done is so startling. We're mm-hmm. so used to her. Um and at, at, a, at a sort of a big level. And, and in, in House of Dark Shadows, she's, you know, she's pretty hysteric. She's pretty hysterical at, at different points, you know. Um um and everything. And her hair is is, is <laughs> <laughs> character itself. But uh, no, there's just there's just it's yeah, the art film is a, is is a totally um solid thing. For example, you know, for example, just the intentional of the, of the tone, there's this great stuff you where know, Quentin has flashbacks. The past, like he looks out the window, and suddenly those you see some, some Angelique's body hanging from two hundred years ago. The director's cut. He's walking down a hall, and hears a piano, and then flashes to a scene of of Charles and Angelique at the piano, and everything being caught by the sister-in-law Laura. But all of these are done in a tone that's so different than, than house of dark shadows yeah it's not like shock shock here's the loud cue oh my god look at the eerie thing that's happening the music doesn't slam us with it it doesn't make it a huge dramatic point it happens softly and almost quietly so the impact is all on us that yeah. we, we have the reaction to it we're not told that this is shocking we just have it it's just it's just oh my god it's so it's a it's like this quietly startling thing and has a lot more effect um i can i think of what wouldn't it have been amazing if they had the time and they done and the house of Dark shadows was a larger canvas and that to have something the equivalent of let's say it was more about uh, – Barnabas was a little bit softer of a character. And when he returned to Collinwood, as he walked into the rooms, it had those kind of Night of Dark Shadows flashbacks where he looks and you could see the room all lit with candles. And oh, that would be been amazing. In 17s. Or he walks into another room and he could see his father and mother sitting there. And every room, there's some memory of them somewhere that's not slam bang, but it's just – his experience. I just think something mm-hmm. like when you see the two of them together, that stimulates my brain. It makes me think that yeah. how amazing something like that would have been on a longer yeah. time of the movie, but how kind of cool that would have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and Gerard is definitely a, he's someone who's not all there. Yeah. He's definitely a malicious, dark manipulative the character i think jim storm said he, he based it on someone he had known um that was like a, a handyman or gatekeeper or something. that was not all there mentally yeah but, yeah uh, to try to use a more tactful phrasing but uh but yeah the def- something definitely broken in gerard that's for sure um mm. the uh i don't think he's a crazy sadistic killer <laughs> he's just <sort> of <laughs> a, a vicious clod <laughs> um, <laughs> they did they did have a scene in the in the original script that they never shot, which is like a hippie comes across Collinwood. There's lights in the window. He gets inside because it's raining. He sees kind of a ghostly figure of Angelique and sort of follows her up the stairs. Where we suddenly see it's Laura Parker. She she starts clawing at his, the hippie's face, and when the hippie backs up, he backs up into Gerard who clubs him to death. Oh, okay. Right the yeah. And if you read the, if you read the script, it's so visual. You could totally you could you could picture everything. Sure.
0: yeah uh um, Gerard uh, there's a hint too that Gerard and and Angelique were getting it on before Quentin came he was like I was good enough until Keith came along or was he makes some comment yeah. to that effect in the film It's like oh something was Happened to him, Kira. Before he was the stand-in yes. for, for for Charles Collins until Quentin showed up. Apparently,
1: to <laughs> see the tower rocking, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> you know, That is not any clearer in the director's cut. That that bit, that line is the only reference to it, sort of. But no, I just think it's it's interesting and moody and spooky and different as mm. it is. um I would say, you know, on the, if maybe on the downside, just to be fair, um, because it's, it's a, it, it's, you know, because it's a, it's a downer and there's a few characters and it's kind of mood. You sort of, you kind of know where this is going. Yeah. You're not really surprised where it is. After the first couple of times he's possessed and tries to kill her, you kind of have an idea where this is going to go. But there's so many delights to enjoy it along the way. Oh, yeah. You know? And the weird sort of attempt to, like, we're going to do this spooky, moody gothic with flashbacks, but I'm going to have a car chase in it. I'm going to have a car <laughs> chase in Why is there a car chase in a gothic? That Yeah, that was random. That's, that's just... <laughs> that's a car chase in it. And yeah. I think a lot of this comes from what was popular in cinema at the time that Dan really got off on. Yeah. I have to say, Dan, I got to speak to Dan in an interview, and he's, and he absolutely... Cop to being a huge Back and Forth fan and Wild Bunch, so of oh. course all that stuff, that's slow mo and the gore and everything comes from and has our shadows Was the is in the is in the air? Oh my God, these are dynamic, amazing cars, things. I mm-hmm. want to do my movie, <laughs> and it's, yeah. I don't want a car chase in there. Yeah. you know and, and what do you call it? Alex Stevens? Will give me this great car chase because I know <laughs> so I doing it, and you know it'll be great. You yeah. know, it's an odd thing to be in there. It's it works, but it's it's such an yeah. odd sort of. Real realistic-y type of thing to sort of happen in a ghost movie. I mean,
0: uh, yeah, the mood, totally. And you have the cobert drums going, and, and it's <laughs> definitely a very different... It's like, whoa, where are we going here? And the ending of the movie also feels very 1970s. Uh, like, It has that very downer ending to the film. Like you said, you know where it's going because Quentin keeps getting possessed, and, oh, I gotta go back in the house one more time. And then, of course, Curse used that again for an uh, offerings. He used the same idea with Karen Black and Oliver Reed, same twist, but but on top of that a night of dark shadows not only does that happen with that ending but then you also get <laughs> news type on the screen like even alex and claire didn't make it out alive at the end you know they're driving away and the witnesses said the car filled with a ghostly vapor <laughs> inside the car so even john carlin and nancy barrett didn't make it out alive at the end of uh of night of dark shadows so yet yeah, very downer ending to the film though
1: very very typical very typical of the era though i'm just reading this Mm -hmm. this, uh, tarantino's book smith cinema speculation Mm -hmm. which is terrific and he talks a lot about his his movie love in the 70s and stuff and he talks Mm -hmm. about all these movies where everything was like a downer ending you know that was the thing it was like the post hippie thing was a sort of nihilistic you you do everything you want but everything sucks kind of a kind Mm -hmm. of an attitude or there's no hope kind of a thing that that was the fashion for a little while and it's certainly in there again like Mm -hmm. Um, the dark ending of, of Not dark shadows again kind of is so underplayed as far as the way the music is done, and everything. It's not, you know, oh my god, yeah. They it's quiet, it's subtle, the audience deals with the repercussions and it's it doesn't sledgehammer you with like physical yeah. violence for it. It's it's really effective. It seems like there's a lot of TV movies that sort of echo sort of the plot or and everything, or or that have similar kind of things, or is there a similar sort of a tone? But if you look at the timeline, this one came first. You know, mm-hmm. there's a few there's a few that have similar things. I and mean, then one just a little bit before, whose name is escaping me, but some friend, lovely, lovely friend of mine provided me a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> Crowhaven Farm. Oh, Crowhaven Farm, yep, yep. Death at Love House has, steals chunks from it. Have you ever seen that TV movie? was also a mm-hmm. project. It takes place like in Harold Lloyd's estate, which is kind of cool. Um, but there's a lot of TV movies that have this sort of a tone, this sort of tone, whether it's um, uh, Harvest Home or things like that, or Harvest Home, that sort of have this sort of a tone or have this sort of a thing that, that feels part of a piece of it. Which I think maybe, you know, it gets a, it gets a little backwards criticism saying, oh, this feels like a TV movie. That's, no, kind of sort of predated yeah. the, 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 a lot of the stuff that became sort of the TV movie tropes. I know Dan's movies, Curtis's movies, get a little stick for, oh, they they, they just have credits playing over the action. That's like a TV movie and stuff. But TV movies didn't do that till last year. Till yeah, after. right. they There's other stuff. It, it sort of became a kind of a thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, Columbus, they sort of came after. Something was in the air. But it's also at the same time. And somehow the, the, the pacing of these scenes that are interesting, but it's okay to have titles over them, like the would yeah. at the beginning and the rest of it. Somehow it kind of works. Like the beginning of Touch of Evil, I like it with the credits play over the action. Totally, yeah. There's a little bit of stuff, and it comes back to the credits and stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, you mentioned you know you mentioned the music. I know people criticize too that Joanna's theme is used a lot, but I like it. I don't know. It has a sad, melancholy quality to it. Uh, and then Quentin's theme too is a, is a centerpiece in this film. And I love when sometimes they'll play like Colbert will plink out just a little bit of it, you know, dun, 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 dun. like, it's just eerie. There's a creepiness to that, you know, as the possession is slowly taking place here. You know, I, I thought it was that was cool and effective.
1: Well, no, I love it. And unlike House, Knight has a an original score. Dan wanted to, wanted to use all the old music cues from the old Jekyll and Hyde, which they use in Dark Shadows as re-recordings. Um, for House of Dark Shadows, he thought that's what the, the, that was the Dark Shadows sound, that was what the fans yeah. wanted stuff so but um if either for budget budget and and creative reasons they they pretty much used all old recordings i think there's some some like sort of bar or mm-hmm. the date kind of music that's kind of some read some re- new stuff and now our shows but nights all new. unfortunately it's not it, they didn't have enough time to time it and write it to the scene so they mm-hmm. did so bob saw the whole assembly of it you know in rough form and then he went and wrote like 12 different cues and recorded different versions of it you know mm-hmm. some, strings, some went out and some doing this because he knew there was going to be something where there was going to be a, a scene with a lot of intensity or something. And then they would, they filled the holes with some stuff that they pulled from, again, from Jekyll and Hyde and things like that. But, mm-hmm. but, the, but this definitely is, is a, there's a really creative, interesting thing going on with the music. And it's got, as you pointed out, which is, you know, it's Quentin's theme is the eerie possessed Quentin slash Charles theme. It's more like a Charles theme. Because yeah. Done as a Charles theme because it's when Charles is around, you see You start hearing that. Yeah. And everything. And, the love theme is the love theme, mm-hmm. and there's, there's this, and and so he's he's definitely placing them where, and underlining what's sort of going on here. And there's a great scene that's so creative musically, where Quentin is fighting the possession. He's, mm-hmm. he's like wandering around the house. He's not going to bed and everything like that. And the love theme starts getting big, and then suddenly the Quentin thing comes in, and it's all yeah, and yes, yeah. Fighting. It's only as an as a as not talking musically, but it's all it's the, the the two themes fight with each other. They fight yep. with each other until one of them one of them wins. Yep. And what wins is the sort of is the possession theme. Yeah. And then, you know he you know. He's not in the room anymore. He's he's out. Yep, lost in the scene and everything. So he so Bob came up with that conceptually and and recorded it that way. They knew there was going to be that kind of a thing. And there's even one of the cut scenes that's in the director's cut is Angelique's playing the piano and she says, "Charles, Charles, when I play this, I think of you. Whenever Mm -hmm. you're not around, this is what I play and I think of." And so it sort of sets up. I mean, we figure it out anyway because we're movie people, mm-hmm. and are pretty. The grammar is pretty easy, and you sort of get that anyway because the repetitiveness of the music. So, you, so you get that sense when you hear those couple little tinkly notes that gives you a little bit of an eerie feeling, and the rest of it, it sort of clues you in. I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite bits is when um, Quentin walks down the hall, and when he comes back, he's totally possessed. His eyes are of saucer. And the music plays this huge, echoey. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Version of the clan theme, and it's just—it feels triumphant, but it's bad triumphant. Yes. It—it it just roars. It's amazing. Is—is, I perhaps you know, this—I would say this might be an argument to them hammering the love theme a little bit so much. But I will mm-hmm. say that the current cut of Madurai Chaz is like 93, 94 minutes, mm-hmm. and the previous cut is one hundred twenty-nine. So yeah. there's more scenes in it that spread the current scenes apart so so it's one of those things if you have oh you know if you go we got to play the love scene again well you would have had four three minutes and other, three or four minutes of other scenes with other music and different things happening before this came back again so it wouldn't seem like on top of each other, yeah. like on top of each other.
0: and that's a great uh a great segue to talking about this because <laughs> um uh the full version of night of dark shadows i think you would hear less people complaining about, oh, so they use that that love theme over and over again, or there are parts where it, the cuts are kind of jarring, and it's because Curtis had to cut the film last minute because MGM made him do it. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you discovered this footage which is absolutely remarkable because unlike the house, the house of dark shadows footage is gone like you said dan curtis himself cut that stuff and i don't think that exists anywhere as far as i know the house of uh, house of like david hanging in the closet and uh, jeff clark's art show or Barnabas says in fact i've done something for him and there's that whole bit that that's all that doesn't exist right doesn't
1: exist it was it's one of those things um now, I, I, I apologize in advance to any listeners if this gets too technical or just gets incoherent. I've i tried when I discuss these things to make things really easy to understand because I remember when I was a teenager and reading about film restoration and film stuff and how things were sort of done, people would talk about stuff all the time and I would never understand what they were talking about. Know, I would understand something, but I don't understand what they're talking about. And There was no way to look it up because it was all library books and there was no internet. So I, I always try to perhaps boringly over-explain things for the for the layman so um so i apologize in advance if that gets tedious but basically yet yeah, um all these movies were produced in new york they were shot in the new york area they were mixed cut visual effects if there were any like you know main titles and dissolve stuff like that were all done in new york and then when it was at a version that dan agreed to they would fly it out to los angeles with the picture and the audio show it to the studio the studio head and they would go great or not and then let's start making prints. That would, be, that would be pretty much it. So in the case of House, any of these cuts that were made were cut way back in New York when Dan was editing it. He never handed all the stuff over to, to MGM or, or, the, or the studio. It stayed with his storage and all the projects that he was doing his personal, personal, or, um, or studio, or his own daycare, production storage, um, and all that stuff. Is, over the years, all that stuff was discarded. I think probably around the time Dan moved out here in the the mid late 70s to LA from from New York, Connecticut, um, and I think it was you know you know you know what happens when you move, stuff gets. <laughs> And you, and then you sit around three years later, going, "Good God, what I throw it away? Yeah, <laughs> God, I, I saved this, I didn't save that. What the heck? Yeah. I don't think they cared." But this is obviously before the idea of of any sort of home video or director's cuts or anything. It was It was, it was uh, plus it was a hit. It was it was a hit. So there was, mm-hmm. there was all this stuff. Um, so so just like heartbreakingly, all that original, I believe, sixteen millimeter footage from the original show, of all those establishing shots of the house and the garage and people walking into the car and back from the car and stuff that gets used in the early episodes of Dark Shadows, all that stuff's gone. I would, yeah, you know, would you kill to see that restored in HD? Oh know, my God! All wow, kinds of that stuff would be amazing. So I, yeah, so I feel over over the time they remove all that House of Shadow stuff got got junked and fell away. Um, for Night, the version that he cut was the long version. It was a long version. Uh, it was even longer, but he cut it down a little bit before pursuing it to MGM. So it comes out to New York with the picture and the sound, of the long version. We'll call it. Shows to MGM, and they told it was 129 minutes. And they said the thing just goes on and on. You guys didn't know when to stop, did you? And Bob thought it was. Cobert thought it was a masterpiece. He said that before. You know, I mean, you know, especially if you compare the directorial technique and maturity and technical slickness of two versus night versus House. Even Dan said, "Oh yeah, I was such a better director on the second one." He showed it to the studio, and they said, "Cut it out," but they'd already made booked a whole bunch of dates in the east coast like way too soon for them to be showing the movie there was no there you know there wasn't like oh let's let's maybe we'll reshoot some stuff maybe we'll change some stuff maybe we'll this there was basically we, well, we have till tomorrow to cut 40 minutes out of this movie because in a week, because in a week we're showing at hundred, you know, hundred or fifty screens in New England, we have to send it to the the censor board, MPAA first. So we got to start moving. We got no time. So there's there's somewhat legitimate reasons for the, the ridiculous timeline that this was done under. You know, um, one wishes what they could have said. Let's pull it. We'll, we'll reschedule it for December instead of August seventy one, and then we can have some time to sort of finesse it a little bit. But they just were sort of under the gun, and they. I think Sam Hall told me that the studio person didn't like Grayson. Didn't like Grayson's character. They wanted her out as much as possible.
0: Oh, gosh. Wow.
1: That's, I mean, really. um, Yeah. Makes no sense to me. And um, I don't know how, you know, so... um, So they they went through the whole thing and they tried to make sense of it. Um, It's funny because I found... We found Sam Hall's notes from when he was in LA of like, okay, this is what we can cut out. Mm. We call it, this will take us this many minutes this will take didn't,
0: didn't he cry when he saw that how much was was cut out of his, the movie that he wrote yeah. i believe yeah, he said fun. he did yeah.
1: yeah the story was the story was, you know they went to this whirlwind thing of cutting and chopping and moving and doing an estimate and mixing they show it to the studio and the studio goes there we go it's a tight little thriller mm-hmm. you know and but that makes no sense but you're and already, they said with your audience it doesn't matter. Your Audience it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah and then like you know you go through this whole big whirlwind and sam goes Dan has other things to do in LA to continue with this nonsense, and Sam flies back. home, feel feeling like with his tail between his legs, Sam Hall, the writer, hmm. and he's, he said he broke down on the plane. You know, after yeah. on the plane because he realized when I come back, I got to tell one just the whole experience, and of course, he's, he's got to tell his wife Rachel about it. She, yeah, she was pretty dedicated. She thought it was pretty great, but uh, yeah. So, given that sort of background, so the stuff that was was cut what had been handed to NGO, the studio, unlike the house stuff. So it was a policy that if they were they if they were cut, you know, when when they had they finished the movie, they cut the negative. They cut the original negative. They cut it to, you know, so it looks like the final film it has all the shots cut cut into it, you know, next to each other. They cut out all the fat and all the slates and all the junk. It's it's the final movie as it is. They cut the the original they cut the original negative to the long version. So they had to recut it which you never want to do, um, to an original negative, frankly. So they had to recut it to perform to the short version. And when they did, it was Studio Policy back then. I interviewed a guy that used to to be the negative cutter at NGM who told me this, that if you were ever touching a, a cut original negative, you made a backup. Oh, okay. Because if you were doing it, it was a tough. You know, it's original negative. Once it's gone, there's nothing. You're cutting, cutting a frame here, cutting a frame there, and you you miscounted and you cut two frames sooner or later or whatever it is, and you had nothing to repair it with. And this was, and then you'd be watching a movie which had splices in it from in from the first day, and this is not professional. It looks like crap. So they made this sort of, um, they made a sort of a backup of the picture, um, which has been which had been sitting in the the vaults for and, and all the little. The little sound bits and all the work print bits that was shown to the stuff that they showed to Dan and the original negative trims over time were tossed away unless it was like Ryan's daughter or a 70 millimeter show like 2001. They wouldn't hold on to all this trim and work material. it's is at a premium. The stuff takes up a ton of space, and if it, there's no use for it, you know, after like seven years, they just dump it. You're um,
0: talking about the material that Curtis caught before he showed the print to MGM.
1: Um, sort of, kind of, okay. I know these things get confusing. Um, No, I'm I'm talking about um, when they when they came out when they came out uh, when they came out to show them they had you know they made the cuts and so they would have been a little so if they'd saved them there would have been little boxes with the picture that they cut out of it and a little another box with the audio that they cut out of it and then you just go to that and go yeah here it is we'll put it all back together again all that stuff was thrown away.
0: Okay. So it's the backup print that you're talking about that that exists, okay?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a backup uh, film element that was made from picture only. Gotcha. Didn't think of making the sound.
0: Yeah, sure. uh, uh yeah.
1: <laughs> we already with which, which would have been a, it would already have been dealt with if that had been the case, but they did not yeah. make it back for the audio So while writing the Dark Shadows movie book, I, I look what do you call it? Um, are contributing to it. I decided to make a concerted effort to see if this stuff actually existed. After a certain amount of time, lo and behold, I found this backup visual element of all the pictures. Because the, you
0: were working for MGM already at this no, point? No, yeah. I
1: was not. I was Oh, I you was, weren't. Oh, no, I was. I was doing all sorts of things, but um, but no, I um just just writing stuff for for the, the Dark Shadows public, Dark Shadows books and and doing mm-hmm. independent research and stuff. I was I was writing articles on this kind of thing, so so I was able to to get it in. Um but you know, I had no studio association at all. And um, you know, got in touch with um, helpful people over at the studio and and explained everything, and they said, okay well, we'll let me let me send you an inventory and we'll look through stuff and I looked through it and I found, the behold, I found this thing that looks like it's the longest version of the picture. I had many more reels than the other one should have, and it was like all the bells went off and stuff. Wow. And I was able to, to look at it on a bench rolling through it with an editor friend of mine and it's just one scene after the other new material it was just absolutely astounding uh, unfortunately when we examined the audio um, not the, the audio was 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 the was the exact audio from 1971 with actual tape splices wherever the deleted scenes would come so you'd watch it on the editing table the, the flatbed and you'd, and you'd be I'm like I'm listening to it okay I'm listening to all the audio and see how much of it is still here and you see all these white Pieces of tape on the rolls, and then as you're as you're coming closer and closer to the end of the scene, you see the tape getting closer and closer and closer, and then just when it's about to cut to a cut scene, there goes the tape over the oh. head, and you're on to another scene. Ah, oh. 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 yeah. But there's like two scenes, but but the but they left two scenes in. Oh, audio had two scenes in it. One of them with Grayson, so we still have the original audio for that. So you got two scenes with uh, with the original um, audio plus. All the the later gore trends that they made. All oh. those little, yes.
0: Did the séance scene? Does that have the audio missing? Yes, the, it didn't all come. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, that was that was um, the two scenes where the audio is back. Is is um, there's one where Tracy, after Quentin attacks her, she looks out the window and sees the ghostly form of Angelique in the tower window, and she makes a pledge. She says, she said she says something about she's she said she won't leave. She's gonna stay and fight for him. Oh great! So at least gives her a little bit of the home. Yeah. She, without that, she's just sort of like she's been attacked, assaulted, nearly raped, and she stale stays. Why doesn't she just leave? Well, now you have a scene that explains that. Yeah. And so that's back, and it gives her gives her a little bit of a of a backbone. This is something to root for, which is kind of cool. Like so, we have mm-hmm. the audio for that, and the following scene, which has Quentin down the hall at this nearly at the same time, encountering Carlotta. Grayson Hall. And she she pushes him. she says, she, he's, she's got to get out of here. She's gotta go. We gotta get her out of here. She's gonna and he's and he barks at her to, to leave her on and he knows what he's doing or whatever and, and mm-hmm. leaves. So those two we have the audio for. We got yeah. those. We got the NS music under it, which is great too. Music and sound effects. Oh
0: great. Perfect. Yeah.
1: So I think of of, of a ninety-four ninety four minute shortcut, we have about a hundred and one minutes of original audio survives. And and miraculously over the last couple of years I found audio for another scene oh yeah i discovered original dailies audio for only two only a couple reels of it i found some original dailies audio and it's part and and one of the and one of the scene so it was absolutely glorious
0: oh that's fantastic so you discovered it was over 40 minutes of footage that hadn't been in the film before then right yeah about that yeah about that Okay. And there was some audio, but the majority didn't have the audio. But you subsequently were able to get the surviving cast members together to record re-record their audio. How did that come about? And how does it sound with the re recorded? Cause you had to get a replacement for Grayson Hall too, right? To to do that, to do Grayson's character in that too. And I assume some of the people in the flashback, like Thayer David and stuff. I don't know how did that work?
1: um any of the favorite david bits are, are ones we have audio for
0: okay okay
1: basically they have more glory really a much more gorier version of him getting trampled by the horse and we have a i see that. That's cool. um and it's really great too. oh it's so nasty it's wonderful um <laughs> absolutely delightful so this is i guess this is back in 99 and we call it 99 or so and I, you know i started pushing jim pearson over to Curtis productions because he's I, I working we hand and glove in this the whole time. Um, that hey, let's let's try to get um, let's start getting the actors to re-record some of these lines. We sort of know what they are. Let's see if we can get it. And so I think it was the 2001 convention. We said, hey, I said, what can we get together? I said, well, we got since we're out here, let's get Nancy Barrett and Diana Valle. They're gonna they're they're gonna be here at the convention. They're you know they might have both been local to, at that point to New York. We'll stay an extra day, and I'll and I'll direct them, and we'll 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 do their missing lines. It'll be great, and everything, and that way we're sort of we're we're ensuring the future. Let's let just let's just let's be smart. Let's 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 think ahead of the, the curve, just in case we don't get to go ahead, because it's going to need to be done at some point. Let's do it, and that has turned out to be the absolute right decision. I can tell you that. I was sort of inspired by um, there's a guy over at Warner's and Turner and George Feltonstein who's, who's a real emperor of film restoration and and archival stuff. He's been there for for decades. He uh, he used to be friends with my old boss at anchor uh, Anchorman uh, publicity, which is kind of cool. I've never actually talked to him, but but he's someone I I have great respect for. And he, at some interview I, I read, he was talking about that they were going around, they had a project going around, and it was in the late '90s where they were going and interviewing filmmakers and actors and actresses and production people that had worked on classic Hollywood movies because they weren't going to be around forever. And these oral history story things are really important. And with DVD VAM and things like that, for the record, let's go and do it. Let's let's sit down, so and so, and interview them. And I said that's a great idea. So that had me thinking, you know what, we should do for posterity. Let's let's think like the same way as for, for Night of Our Channels, only this is a case of. If we don't do this, then if, we, if they pass away or something, then we're, we're never going to have it. And we already knew we didn't have Grayson, so that, I, that was sorry. I don't really you know what happened in the 80s. So we, we did Nancy Barrett and in Malay. And then over the next few years, um, that we did first because that was, again, it was just an opportunity. We're going to be here. They're going to be here. Let's do it. And so we were we re, uh, re-recorded their stuff. And that MLA was only in one scene, so it didn't require too much time and effort and money. Cause we have to pay for we pay for the studio out of our own pockets. So over the years we've we've done we've we've brought them in we've done mm-hmm. we've brought them in Peaceville. We have um John Carlin, or we think we have John Carlin. We've done him many, many times over the years, a little bit here, a little bit there, and Jim Storm, we think we've had him in once or twice to to do his bits. And um Tell me a lot because there's, there's as you can imagine, there's a lot of seeds with him. And we've had we've had Kate Jackson in once. Um mm-hmm. we haven't finished, we we've done everybody's done. So a little bit more Kate Jackson needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Have to still finish her. It's I mean, we've done the lion's share of it, but um Is one... she
0: willing to do it if you to complete it if it if that I, comes to that
1: I, I think so she was she was totally you know she was it was fine fine to work with when we did the um when we did the first one but that's now been several years mm-hmm. the challenge and we never did the grayson we haven't done Grayson. Yet. oh i thought you I did. did oh okay things some wonderful people have sent over tapes and things but i was waiting till your studio green light to cast grayson because there's because it's a grayson replacement there's no time rush on any of that until we actually have something we're going to release and i want to have the studio behind it with a little bit of a budget so we have a wider range of people we can go to. I see. Um, wider range of people we can go to. Plus, you know, we got to pay. There's d- guild deals and union stuff that has to be worked out and proper payment and stuff that has to be done correctly um, if we're hiring a brand new talent that has nothing to do with the movie.
0: But you have, you have somebody in mind, though, if this happens where because i cause I, had, I had thought i was under the impression that the grace and replacement had already been squared away um so is there somebody you have in mind already at this point
1: i had a few ideas some of them have some of them have sadly passed away <laughs> oh <laughs> no oh yeah i think um eileen brennan was one mm-hmm. i thought i think i was sort of circling around hope oh, she hasn't passed away is it elizabeth ashley in coma and a bunch of other things, I might be okay. getting. Uh, it's been a while since I thought of it, but also, you know, there's lots of voice matching agencies. You'd be surprised. A lot of new movies, new newer movies, there'll be some. There's some guy that oh, he always does Gene Hackman because Gene Hackman never comes in for his his yeah. loops. Not Hackman has done anything in a little while. But yeah, there's there's a surprising amount of of people that that you're hearing. You're seeing a Jack Nicholson performance or a Hackman performance, but a line or two might be somebody else. So, so yeah, I was just sort of I was waiting on that. So we had it had a green light. One of the reasons we don't have we haven't finished up with Kate Jackson is we have a problem with the script. Is oh. that it doesn't we don't have what they call the editor's line script, which is. You know, they say script supervisor, the the person on the set on the on the set that's there, and every and they're telling, oh, you know, they put the candle down with the right hand, they put the candle down with the left hand, they said of instead of the in this scene, and they make notes of every take of where there was a difference of all and and any changes they make on the set of the dialogue is is captured in the and that's given to the editor. That's gone. We got we don't have that. I so see. all we have are the shootings uh, the shooting scripts and some of the actors' scripts and everything. And some of these lines they're they go off script. They start flapping, and they start with the line that's on the page, and they go to places where we can't tell. I see. Close. Well, so we've so we've done that, and it's been a bit of frustration to some of the actors that we go in because most of the time you do looping, you know, what the lines are, you know, the line is, It's just it's a, you know, the line is the line. We can hear the line, but there's a plane flying overhead that they're trying to get. Yeah.
0: From. Would a, so, Would a lip reader be able to pick up if you got somebody who's good at reading lips? Would they be able to pick out what they're saying?
1: I did hire a lip. I did hire a lip reader many moons ago and he came in and, and he was able to help nail down a few of them
0: oh good good
1: yeah but not all but not all of them mm-hmm. um thankfully one of the ones i was having scenes i was having problems with is the one i found the missing audio for oh perfect oh I great like, Finally, finally i know they're real they have saved this so um i think the seance is pretty clear the seance okay. is pretty clear. That's because they're pretty much all in close-up. It's sort of like when someone has their back to the camera or their side to the camera or they're walking across the room or they're in a, all the mm-hmm. way in the back and, or something like that and they're sort of clapping, mm-hmm. or they're walking while they're talking or they're yeah. moving while they're talking and it's sort of an, a little unclear. Um, I, so I did all the ones with Kate Jackson where we were pretty much 100% sure of the lines.
0: Great.
1: And and she, by the way, she was great. She could make her voice sound
0: younger Oh, that's cool. I was going to ask about that, like how the actor's voice is, you know, how you dealt with that. But, oh, that's cool that she was able to modulate her voice to sound more like she did when she was younger. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and she and she would give it, you know, like, you know, we were doing, you know, there's a thing where you run the scene and it goes beep, beep, beep. And then they say the line, mm-hmm. they call it, you know, let's say, you know, but Quentin, you know, she would do that, you know, so or whatever. And so it would beep, beep, beep. And she would go, what Quentin. And you try to sync mm-hmm. it up and mm-hmm. she would just keep going after the, she would, she would, she would give me like six. She'd oh. go, Laquin? Laquin? <laughs> but Quentin, but Quentin. But I mean, she would give me all these different things. So like by the time she was sort of done with each one, I was like, well, you sort of gave me everything I needed plus. So yeah. I just have to move it back and it'll yeah. be fine. So it was great. And she, and she got the voice, right. It was great. So I nailed all the one, I did all the ones that I was hundred percent sure what the lines are and saved the other ones for like, her. and we, we did experiment with a few, try mm-hmm. this and it sort of, you know, try saying it faster. Try saying it with of uh, instead of the, and it's sort of, yeah. it's a time consuming process. That's why it seems so, it shouldn't just be simple. It wouldn't, if we had all the, had the, the lines, it would be a lot easier. So it's been a lot of trial and error. And I, there have been ones where I've like, okay, we've recorded this with David like this and it's great. And I'm listening to it and I'm listening to, and I'm listening to it. And I'm watching the thing with that audio again. I went, oh my God, he just said from, look, there's a from, there's a from, uh, uh. there's a from. <laughs> okay, now we gotta do it with From. Okay. Yeah, so, wow, uh, yeah. So it's so so yeah. There's like lots and lots of sessions that we've sort of done this for. So all the actors increasing generosity. And Laura came in and she was great. Everybody's voices has changed somewhat. Um, the you know all this stu- all the sort of we've just been concentrating getting other the raw sessions because again all the sort of mixing and there's tools you can we can bring people's voices up you can bring people's voices low you can you can make someone faster you can pitch correct it this way you can do that there's a lot of tools you, you know especially if you have a line if they're right next to a line that's original and the other cut, and then the next line is a new one, they can they can compare them and try to make the make the levels match a little bit more or bring the noise up or down or something. So um, that's something that has to be saved for the final mix.
0: I mean, in addition to the seance scene, there were other, you know, as you mentioned, there were scenes that were supposed to have been longer, but there were other, like, there was the piano scene you mentioned too with Angelique and Charles. And were there any other, like, major scenes that were cut from the film?
1: Major, major scenes, there's a, there's a great... um and when I say great, I'm referring to a lot of it's you know, because I can only see the visuals, it's a little bit hard to um you know, visually striking. A lot of scenes mm-hmm. are, are, are visually striking. There's a whole scene where Quentin and Alex, John Carlin, are walking across that railroad bridge that they have the big knife fun on about midway through the movie. And at you know, at some point a train comes by underneath and everything. Oh it's, wow. And like a wide shot and stuff and they're talking and it moves in. And Alex tells Quentin everything he's found out about the whole history of the family, what's sort of going on, and Quentin and Charles and the whole thing, and what he, and he thinks that he's being possessed, and that's why he attacked Tracy, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, he doesn't know that he attacked Tracy because um, Tracy didn't say anything about it know yeah, it's a, few, it's, a few, it's a few minutes. It's cool. There's a good give and take between the two of them. They're sort of it's like, hey, I got to, you know, you're you're crazy. You're just a crazy writer. What are you talking about? This is just nonsense. I'm fine. But it's a great it's a great scene, and 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 with with the water in the background and everything, it's really visual and really cool looking. So that's kind of cool. And there's a whole sequence where. Quentin and Tracy go on sort of a, have a like a romantic picnic, and that leads them to explore the um, the greenhouse, which is again incredibly striking. And he notes that it's dilapidated and falling and falling down. It's it's not that safe. And at some point, and they just have you know romantic, playful dialogue, mm-hmm. but over in the background there's sort of a ghostly shape watching them.
0: Oh, cool! And then there's uh, you mentioned the one with Tracy sees Angelique and says, "I'm going to stay and fight for him." But then there's also the. It wasn't famous monsters of film land. There's the, you know, you see the skeleton uh, shackled when they find the body of Charles Collins. That that was cut from the film too, right? Because they're going down into the catacombs, but I don't think we actually get to see that, do we?
1: But thanks for yeah, thanks for pointing that out. That, that um, yeah, no, yeah. There's a whole thing like in the mo- end of the movie, they 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 go into the house trying to find something. and She gets trapped, and then Grayson jumps off the roof, and that's it. It's sort of, but it's yeah. sort of, <laughs> it's all of backwards. It's also sort of, it's sort of. And it's weird, sort of way, kind of work, but it's, it's they, they cut out a huge section of the movie, the climax of the movie. It's like um, they go in the basement, she's trapped. Alex actually joins the scene, which isn't in the current version. They tear the they take, they take the door open. Claire joins them in the scene, and they real and Quentin realizes that Charles Collins's body has been walled up behind the wall over there, and so we're we're in the basement. Unfortunately, the scene of them taking the wall down and finding the corpse was taken out of New York. That oh. was never that wasn't included really the one. So that's sadly one of my favorite ones I wanted to see. It dissolves to the next scene. I was like,
0: no. So that wasn't in the cut that Curtis showed to uh right. MGM. It didn't, oh,
1: okay. didn't show the skeleton bit. So um oh, okay. I think just an effort to bring it down like because cause he he said, he explains what they're going to see and what's sort of in there. And once he's mm-hmm. made the sort of point, it's just sort of them looking at the corpse on a, on a, a coffin. But it's, yeah. it, it, this is a beat for me. I like. I like. I'm a sucker for worn, torn down, walled up people with skeletons <laughs> and coffins. Yes, totally. And so that dissolves to the séance sequence. Yeah, okay, I so, see. So, that, so that's that's how they know. Everything. That's so that's how they know that's how are doing And they have the big séance sequence, trying to drive Angelique away. Angelique appears to try to lure. Quentin to come away with her, and it seems to be working. And Angelique starts to fade away, and just before she fades away, Grayson, who's been watching up in the gallery, lets out a shout: "Stop! No, you can't!" Quentin collapses off the chair in like a trance, and John Carlin you know, yells up at her: "You can't! You gotta let her go, Carlotta, You gotta let her go!" And runs out of the gallery and up the stairs that's where the whole Quentin chasing her up to the tower, where she jumps off from.
0: Oh, so sort of I see. They
1: took out the seance, they took out the, the, the basement discovery and just sort of went, okay, so while she's trapped in the room, Alex is chasing Grayson off the roof. So it's, yeah. It's a hot dog. It's just the flow is all sort
0: of It's where it gets confused. Yeah, it gets confusing and I think it can get kind of jarring when they when those cuts come into it. Um you have to rescore the music in the film too and the sound effects and everything, right? So you, did you bring in uh, Robert Cobert to help with that?
1: Definitely. Um it's not so much a rescoring as, as we call respotting.
0: Respotting, like, yeah. respotting.
1: Because I was saying the they wrote he wrote some original music to it, but it wasn't to the scene. It was it was mm-hmm. 12 cues that you could place at various spots of it. And of course, as I said, they used some of the original show music. So if you're watching this thing, anything could be there. There's no uh-huh. audio. There's, yeah. there's no. There's, you could just you could put Mersey notes in there. You, you have no idea. <laughs> but there are a couple bits where, let's say, a scene is about to start, and then the audio cuts, and there'll be like two notes, in the audio oh, so the you'll get audio cuts, and you're like ah, uh-huh. and they'll link it up you play through the scene and you're like, got it. It's man. like a, it's a puzzle.
0: It's like putting a puzzle together. Wow. It's
1: like putting a puzzle together. You know, um, my buddy Ansel Farage and I um, yeah. put together, so we sort of took the rough version of the picture and the color of sound version of the picture and we and we sort of, we put it all into sort of sequence and then one of the scenes without audio comes up, there's subtitles, but we took the audio where it's supposed to be and played it as it's supposed to. So sort of did that I, on the gracious generosity of Bob Colbert, I, I read the, re, we call Respot the Movie, which is basically look at the movie Tell me what you think. Music went where? Where were to start? Where were to stop? Let's try this piece. Let's try that piece. No, let's try something else. How about that? So, with his, with his incredible generosity, let me, he, he responded the movie again. I went down to his place. Uh, I think it was two, over two sessions for a few hours, and went through the whole thing. And he said, mm, no, "Try not try that. No, I don't like that. Try try this." He no. said, "You know, what? This, there's too much music. It's too loud. Let's let the movie breathe a little bit here. You know, if you have all this music, it just becomes punishing." Okay, so he helped. Um, he up to that we went through the whole thing and with his notes, you know, it took vast notes. Ansel and I put the music where to Bob's to to what the suggestion was anywhere and it's even without the, with sometimes, it works so much better. Because you wow. watch all the stuff and it goes dead silent, it's hard to tell the pace and everything. It's not yeah. it the pace, you're just trying to, it's just sort of a reference doc, reference piece to look at. And so once it was there, it was like suddenly scenes that just sort of were like, sort of like, oh, it's kind of interesting looking, it would suddenly be like, oh, that's a scene. I can see it. And now it's got some pace to it. Yeah. You know, he even did, um, he, um we call it a, a, a Colbert, uh, the composer's cut, because <laughs> he went through. <laughs> we did all the stuff as it should have been. And he also was like, that scene's sort of dead. We should have some more. We should have some music in there. Let's try, let's try some stuff. <laughs> so we've got like two or three scenes that like either that didn't have music that he like put in there. So if we do it, I would love to sort of be able to come up with two mixes. One that's like Bob's, you know, as a tribute, Bob's composer's cut. Yeah. Like, and a lot of it's sort of like, um and, and some of it I showed like to answer. he was like, yeah. Fire. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> so we're supposed to first do the harm. We have to keep it the way it was, but you know, would be great if we could do
0: a composers. Would be step. a great uh, extra, like on DVD, the the composers cut. I love that. If, if those who are listening to this haven't listened to it, you should definitely check out uh, Ansel's interview I did in episode five of this podcast, because Ansel discusses some of this in there as well, and uh, and helping you put this together. Um, this project almost saw the light of day, as I recall, in 2012. I remember there was a lot of excitement around this potential getting released and how heartbreaking it was for us, for the fans, but especially for you, Uh, it must have been when this didn't transpire. I'd like to hear... A little bit about why that didn't happen and how it could still happen
1: sure um i'll try to make this as short and concise as possible basically um you know because warner brothers the studio owns the movie not mgm where i work i work at mgm this is owned by warner brothers
0: so warner I, brothers owns house and, and night warner of dark
1: brothers, they own everything mgm pre-86 long story but um, it needs that studio behind it with their finances, resources to to make it happen. This it's not something that's independently owned that people can put money in. They need to sort of get behind it and do it. And it doesn't that going be that? It's not that costly. This isn't you know Justice League restoration. Right? This is you know there's no picture anything. It. It's all audio work really um, and stuff. Yeah. So there was a little. It looked like it was possibly. There was a real good chance that it was going to happen. When the uh, the two thousand four two thousand five pilot happened, people in, in, that made that were really interested. That you know, Mark Verheiden was was definitely behind the notion and um, knew about the restoration. It was a fan of the family original show, so I think if that had happened, if they'd gone to the series, they would all have been done by now. You know, that didn't happen, so that was the casualty of that. Also, the, it looked like it was really going to happen with the Tim Burton movie, but it was such an involved production and, and everything that in focusing on getting the actress in the movie for cameos and various stuff and dealing with the Dan Curtis portion of the picture and all the rest of it, and just this massive movie thing and the auspices and secrecy of a huge new, a budget movie in a huge studio. Somehow it, the eyes that should have been on it fell aside and the ball was dropped. Um, mm-hmm. So it's sort of been sitting, waiting for an angel that cares about it to do something about it. And so whenever they announce one of these possible new shows, and it's the Mark B. Perry one, I'm very, very excited about it. It sounds really cool to me. Um, and part of my hope is also for the show is also that if there's a new Dark Shadows, it's a new exciting Dark Shadows that's getting money and ratings mm-hmm. and ads everywhere and coverage in all the newspapers and that stuff and people know about it and it's new and it's a thing. This is the last piece of original Dark Shadows that can be restored and made into a shiny new exciting object for distribution.
0: Yeah, even if you're not into the idea of a new Dark Shadows, this could lead to good things for uh, original Dark Shadows. For example, the restored Night of Dark Shadows finally getting its release, which fans have wanted to see for so long. And with all these streaming services we have now, it seems like a no-brainer. I mean, there's a Shudder, the the horror streaming channel, like why not drop it on, on Shudder or one of these other streaming channels uh, so that people can see it, you know, or, or a Blu-ray release would be ideal, you know, a DVD blu-ray release but um you know one of these streaming channels for halloween the restored night of dark shadows it's practically there it sounds like it's just if you get that green light it's only a matter of getting those few final pieces in place and and making it happen right
1: yeah, totally. I, and the good thing is, is, is over. the is, is since you know, I never would have expected twenty something that this is gone on for twenty something years. And I would love to put it to bed and finally have it being an accomplished thing. And, you
0: used to have a website and everything. I remember the night It my... it's,
1: it's sort of haunt, it sort of haunts me. It's like it's like you know, was the other? It's it's you know, what is it? Wells had the other side of the wind. <laughs> that, was finished, that was never going to happen. So I was like, I'm like, you know, so it's, it can happen. I, you know, I, I think it's certainly, it's certainly, it certainly can happen. It needs, as I said, it needs the right person to do to say yes, because I think let's say, you know, it, whether it's a partnership deal, Warner Brothers pays a little bit and Max throws in some money and Shutter throws in some money and they get it for like a year as an exclusive or something. And then, Oh, maybe, you know, shout factory or whatever. Some other, you know, s- s- studio wants to pony up a little bit more money for it or criterion or something. I think Bob criteria will will come to it. I just, you know, I just, I feel like they've got deeper pockets for this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think if you spread this around between the different uh, areas of revenue for it, that would play it. I, I totally, I th- it's an easy. It would be an easy decision to make. I just think it's, it's. You can totally make the numbers work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be a thrill for the fans to see it. I've I've done presentations where I've shown clips and things that have thrilled. People over the years and stuff, and and it's it's and fans have been asking me for oh is I was going oh is there any chance it's going to happen this year and stuff and and it deeply saddens me when I what I see in the see in the news or on forums and Facebook whatever that Dark Shadows friends in the community that have asked me about it or that I've been friendly with pass away uh, and yeah. I and, I and I they didn't get the they didn't get to see it and I know they wanted to and it's you know. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a, but I just, it, it hurts at the missed opportunity. I feel like they're so sort of letting them down. You know? Well,
0: it's not your fault. You're the champion of this. I mean, you are uh, a heroic figure in the fandom for spearheading this and putting this together. And like you said, this is a piece of classic Dark Shadows that exists, unlike, you know, episode uh, 1219, which I'd also love to see that the, the lost episode right. of the show. that Nobody has that or that we know of. Maybe somewhere, it probably exists. Somebody must have it somewhere, but uh, we have the audio only for that but it's you a are
1: which is a
0: miracle yeah that's yeah, that is a miracle that we actually have that thanks to uh josette kernahan she had the audio for that episode so we at least have that's that you know
1: <laughs> what's that Bless you josette you're an angel
0: Yes, yes, indeed. Um, last thing, uh, Darren, is there anything fans can do to encourage Warner Brothers uh, to make this a reality?
1: You know, I, I always I, I, I come hot and cold on this all the time because I don't, you know, I just I just you know and I'm never quite sure how effective it sort of is because it's owned by Warners, I can't I can't say something like, Let's do a go fund me and then all the money will go to rest. I don't have the I don't have the legal Rights to do such a thing. This studio would would have to do something like that. I can't. So, but I would say just I think Ansel's always hot on the iron there when they have like you know interviews with people that put out, you know at, at Warner's or and, and stuff like that, saying hey, can you do the restoration or hey, you know it doesn't hurt to send nice polite emails to people in HBO Max or wherever they may be, you know, um, or Facebook pages like Warner Archive or something like that, just to you know to show your enthusiasm and interest for it and, and or even TCM. Because it always helps to keep it in people's mind. Yeah. So, so somebody going to, what is this? Someone's asking about Night of Dark Shadows. What is this Night of Dark Shadows that they're asking about? It's, oh, yeah, those Dark, dark Shadows fans, they ask us every month. Well, what is it? Well, is this movie? About? You know, the right person is going to, uh, might get that right question at the right time, you know?
0: Exactly. Don't give up. I'll put links in the show notes to Warner Archive, some of the other places uh, you mentioned, because folks listening to this, if you want to see Night of Dark Shadows, just like Darren said, if the right person hears that question, it might spark an interest in making this a reality for us to finally see this.
1: You know, it would be the, the ideal for me would be to make it finally happen, have people out there for people to see. And for some fans that have hated Night of Dark Shadows since day one, to come up to me and go, you know, I hated that movie, but man, that, I don't know, that long version, that's, I, it sold me. It's kind it's of real. Something to it, yeah. I think you. I think you were. Oh, it wasn't all. All this effort wasn't for naught. You know, I would love for certain for that to happen and certain people to come around. That would. Be-
0: I can guarantee. I bet you that would certainly happen. I mean, the movie would make more sense, and it's the way that Dan Curtis wanted it to be presented. So, and it would flow more seamlessly. I think. Um, so, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. Darren, any closing thoughts before we jump out of here?
1: I can't think of anything, but I will say I'll say one thing is you know, maybe some of these things, the timeline of these things happens for a reason. Like who I was in 1999 and 2001 and my experience level versus now is so different. In the interim, I've produced projects where we're re-editing scenes and, and, and finishing things completely in post-production and doing a full remaster and restoration. And I've done audio restoration stuff. So I've got all this sort of stuff behind me that I didn't have before. So I'm much more experienced in that than I would have been and also if we had done it back then there wouldn't be these two other scenes that I found There's yeah and the scene that I found the missing audio for and it would be one it would it would it would not it wouldn't have been in there yeah and the, the lines you know I might have found over the years that I pour I go over the stuff a line might have been wrong a line might might have been off I remember um I did the audio we were restoring the the mono mix for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, um, the long version. They, they'd done the long version. They'd never done it in mono. So you always had to hear what these this horrible 5.1 remixed sound effects didn't sound right. So we wanted to do a whole mono version. And they re-recorded Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach and a few people for the extended version scenes back in 90, the early 1000s, 90s or something. I'm not quite sure the year. And the, it was the same thing like Night Dark Shows. They weren't sure 100% what the lines were and they did their best. And over the process of doing this whole thing i would go i went that's not the line look look what he says he says this so i've been able to spot and so i was i think we were able to correct a couple looped lines that weren't that were that were that were missed in the first place um that you were, perfected
0: uh, that skill from doing yeah
1: yeah so it's sort of like so so like yeah because i um we call it so not that we didn't re-record anybody, but we found another take where he might have said it in a different way and moved it around a little bit to fit or mm-hmm. something. Or it was just like, Oh, it's a different line, or like he doesn't say anything here. There shouldn't be a line here. Take it out. <laughs> when he called, he's just he's just moving his shoulders, there's no muffin coming out of his mouth or something. Okay. So we would make a few little corrections there. So I've gotten better at it as 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 we've got as we've gone along, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I and I always hope that you know another piece of another piece of the puzzle will show up some script pages will show up or or something that will make it you know just make it happen so but i just i think maybe maybe that the wait has been for a good thing as long as as long as we can eventually does happen yeah it'll be better and it'll i would say if it happens in the near future it'll be much better than it would have been if it happened even 2000 in 2005
0: definitely uh looking on the bright side there the silver lining because yeah you've discovered footage uh, in recent years uh, and, or audio in recent years and, um, you know, f- tweaked some things and fixed some things. So it's a, it's going to be really exciting when, the, not if, when this finally does happen, because uh, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to finally get to see this. Well, Darren, thank you very much for sitting down with me at long last. I'm so glad uh, we were able to finally chat because uh, I've been wanting to, I was waiting until the night of dark shadows episode, to 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 reach out to you and ask you to do this because I've been really uh, looking forward to it. So thank you again for taking the time to sit down with me today and and chat about Night of Dark Shadows.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It was an absolute, it was an absolute delight. You know? <laughs> it was an absolute delight. I could I could do all, I could do a whole podcast with you on on, on House of Dark Shadows and just Cobweb's music. I was
0: oh oh just, that that's I then I, I, this- then we're gonna have to do a a uh, a another visit to, to Terror at Collinwood sometime so we can do that because that would be exciting to do that as well.
1: Hopefully, it'll be, hopefully it'll be the the night Shadows has released interview. Oh yeah! Oh, that, that, that the has post, to both interview. Yes. The after
0: party. I want to do that. Like, Uh how do you feel now that it's been, that it's finally happened? I'm going to make a mental note because that's going to, that has to happen. (laughs) All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror at Collinwood. Uh, And thank you to my guest, Darren Gross, for taking the time to chat with me. And hey, uh, if you have friends who are fans of Dark Shadows, fans of gothic horror and all things spooky, please let them know about Terror at Collinwood, I certainly would appreciate it. And whether you're a first-time listener or a regular listener, I want to thank you very much for listening to Terror at Collinwood. And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.